Friday, September the 16th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. This is an old school episode for you where we get into everything going on in the world of sports. We'll get into our NFL Week 2 game-by-game previews with Eric. We'll dish out some info for college football this weekend. We'll talk about some of the biggest games this weekend in college football, give you a weekend preview. Baseball season finishing up, winding down right now. I know a lot of people have been paying attention to football, but we'll have a baseball segment right off the bat just to let everybody know what the playoffs look like right now, who's uh, battling it out for possible division and wild card playoff spots. Then we get into weekend racing. Friday, Woodbine. We'll talk the early pick five there. Then we get a little harness action. I do a preview show for Better Than Vegas where we talk about the Friday harness racing from Mohawk. So I figured, already looked at those races. Might as well talk about them right here on That's What G Said. Friday, Woodbine. Friday, Mohawk. Then Saturday, Woodbine. We'll hit the stakes races there. We'll hit the pick five races uh, 7 through 11. Louisiana Downs full card. Belmont couple stakes races out there. Churchill Downs, we'll talk about their late pick five, which is all stakes. And then Sunday, Louisiana Downs. Yeah, all that. And then we finish up wrestling with Chad Cooper this week in wrestling. WWE, NXT, AEW, the PWI 500 came out. So we talk about that on a loaded episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Give them a follow right now. All sorts of live uh, pre-shows for big football games, big sporting events. Everything is free. All of the analysis, all of the handicapping information. You don't have to sign up for anything. Just follow along over at BTV Bets and head on over to Betfred Sports and sign up if you are able to sign up for an account. Betfred has the most personalized betting experience on the market. In-person events, betting competitions, weekly promotional offers. They're actually in partnership with the Bengals and the Broncos in the NFL, the Rockies in baseball. They have season tickets to every pro sports teams in the states that they are in. Golf outings, all sorts of events. So you get perks as a player. And then they also give you promotions for as much as you bet. So if you love the outings, all sorts of the additionals, great. If you like the promotions, you're going to get all of that too. Check out Betfred Sportsbook and give them a follow at Betfred Sports. Haven't talked a whole lot of baseball this year. It's it's a little harder to cover baseball because it moves so rapidly and so quickly. But let's, uh, let's jump on into it because I think a lot of folks have probably been paying attention to football, college football the last few weeks. So everyone only has about 15 to 20 games left in the baseball season. Let's uh, let's have a little baseball segment as Aaron Judge. Now, everything I'm talking about is heading into Thursday. So all the stats, numbers, everything going into Thursday. Aaron Judge, 57 home runs for Judge, 19 games left for him. And the Yanks have won eight of their last 10. So they're now up six games in the AL East. They don't have any more games with the Rays. They got a little, things got a little bit tight for them. Uh, they were down about three games for a moment, but they've steadied the ship a little bit now. So the uh, the Yankees are pretty much your AL East champ here. The 57 home runs puts Aaron Judge behind just some incredible names on the all-time home runs list. At 57... He's tied with Alex Rodriguez and Luis Gonzalez. 58, Mark McGuire, Ryan Howard, Hank Greenberg, Jimmy Fox. 59, John Carlos Stanton, Babe Ruth. 60, Babe Ruth. 61, Roger Maris. 63, and 64, Sammy Sosa. 
65 Maguire, 66 Sosa, 70 Maguire, and 73 Barry Bonds. Some of the others that uh, are currently playing that you might look around and notice, you had Pete Alonso at 53, Aaron Judge hit 52 back in 2017. That's really it. Others that kind of stand out on the list, you have you know Brady Anderson, the 50-year. You have Greg Vaughn hits 50, 51-year. Albert Bell's on there down at 50. Jim Tomey, 52. Chris Davis from the Orioles hit 53 back in 2013. So Aaron Judge climbing the all-time home run leaderboard. Now, in the American League East right now, you have Toronto, Tampa, and Baltimore all still trying to get into the wild card spots. Doesn't really look like we're going to have an American League division race. American League East is separated by six games. The Central, the Guardians lead that by four. And in the AL West, the Houston Astros are up by 12 and a half. But Tampa and Toronto have been playing recently. And Toronto is now up a game and a half on the Rays going into Thursday. And they still have four more games left with each other. The Rays also have six games left with the Astros. Right now, the Rays are currently in the third and final wild card spot. They are four games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. So Toronto is the current American League wild card one, Seattle wild card two, Tampa wild card three. Baltimore is four games behind. And then behind that, it's the White Sox and the Twins. They're six and a half and seven back. Unlikely they'll be able to make up that much ground. Probably a, a, a long shot that Baltimore does it. So Toronto, they still have six games with Baltimore, though. This is where Baltimore has a little bit of shot. They've got six games with Toronto that are in front of them. So if they can you know, win five or four or five of six there, they can they can turn the tables a little bit. Then they have three games with Detroit, four with the Astros, four with Boston, and three with the Yanks. The Blue Jays, they have six games with Baltimore, and they're up five and a half on them. Four with the Rays, and three with the Yanks. Tampa, Toronto, Baltimore, three teams. Two of them will get into the wild card most likely unless we have a Seattle collapse, but I mean, I guess all three of them could get in, but they're all vying for spots in Baltimore, the odd man out right now. In the Central, you have the Guardians that are currently up four on the White Sox, five on the Twins. And Cleveland has five games left with the Twins, three with Chicago, White Sox, three with the Rays, three with Texas, and they end with six games against Kansas City. The White Sox are four games out in the American League Central. Up and down year for them. But they still have three more games left with Cleveland, six more with Detroit, six more with the Twins, and three more with the Padres. So the Twins and White Sox play each other still six more times. The Twins have an opportunity. They play five with Cleveland, a five-game series starting on Friday, Friday through Monday. And they have six with Chicago. So they have the teams that are in front of them, and they have easy schedule after that. Three against Kansas City, three against the Angels, three against Detroit. They're five games back. Can they make a big late surge? At least they have an opportunity to do so. The American League 
West has been a little boring. Houston's going to be the number one seed in the American League. They're six games ahead of the Yankees for the overall number one seed. They need to get Verlander right. Seattle is the number two wild card. They're five games up on Baltimore. And they have four left with the Angels, six with Oakland, three with Kansas City, three with Texas, and four with Detroit. A pretty soft schedule for Seattle down the stretch as well. So that's on the American League side. It looks like it's not really that much of a race. Baltimore's got to make some noise late. Over on the National League side, you have the Mets, who are up a half game on the Braves in the National League East. The loser of that race will be the number one wildcard spot. They're well ahead of the other wildcard teams. The Mets and Atlanta have three more games against each other. It's a big series. September 30th through October 2nd. It's the second to last series of the year. Up until that, the Mets play three with Pittsburgh, three with Milwaukee, three with Oakland, two with Miami. Then they play Atlanta in that series, and then they close it out with three against Washington. So the Braves, who are a half a game behind the Mets, that big series, September 30th through October 2nd, up until that, the Braves have six against the Phillies, six against Washington. Then they play the Mets, and then three with Miami to close. The Phillies are pretty secure in the second wild card spot right now. Phillies are seven and a half games behind Atlanta, but they're two and a half up on the Padres for the third spot, and they're four and a half up on the Brewers to stay in the wild card. They have seven games left with Atlanta, seven of the next 10 overall. Two with Toronto, three with the Cubs, four against Washington, and then three at Houston to close the season. So right now in the National League on the wild card side, you have two teams from the NL East it'll be. Either the Braves or the Mets, whoever doesn't win the division, and then Phillies. The Padres are in the third spot right now, but they're four and six in the last 10. They've been reeling. They're two up on the Brewers for the final wild card spot. So two and a half games back of the Phillies for that number two spot. Dodgers will be the number one team overall. Uh, most likely overall. They're the number one team in the National League. They're 20 games up on the Padres in the division. They're 10 games up on the uh, National League East for the second best record. And they're five and a half up on the Astros for the best record overall. So some things to mention uh, in baseball right now. Going through fan graphs, one of my favorite sites to dive into baseball. They rank everyone in their power rankings and they put them in tiers. So the Dodgers and Astros are in that top number one tier. Then you have the New York teams behind them. The Mets and the Yankees in that next tier. Following them, you know, the Yankees were able to Bounce back, the division lead dwindling to three and a half games. They scored 10 runs, though, in back-to-back games to earn the series win, and now they have a little more wiggle room as the season ends. Braves had in a, Braves are in the third tier. Braves, Cardinals, Mariners, Blue Jays, Rays. Braves had an eight-game win streak snapped last weekend, then they end up dropping the weekend series against the Mariners. The Mariners' really soft schedule remaining. Rays have had an impressive run despite playing through injuries. Wander Franco, Brandon Lau, Chirinos, Nick Anderson, Glass now. Major injuries for Toronto all throughout the season. 
but they're still in that third or for a uh, for Tampa, excuse me, for the Rays, but they're still in this third tier and they're still in a wild card spot right now. For the Braves, Kenley has been struggling for them. Kenley Jansen, their closer. Seven appearances where he blew a three three saves in seven attempts, allowing 12 base runners, three home runs in just five and two-thirds innings. The Braves had a big rally to come back last weekend, and then right after that, Kenley comes in and gives up two home runs and gives up the lead. So... Not great heading into the playoffs, even for a team that's playing really, really well. He's not been great since the All-Star break. His pitch velocity's been pretty consistent, as is the spin rate. I'm reading through this article on Fangraphs. But his opponent, hard hit rate is up. He was barreled twice on Sunday, and his whiff rate on sinker and slider went through the floor, but he only throws a couple dozen secondary pitches per month. His release point is starting to drop as the year goes on. Coincides with the decrease in the percentage of sliders that he's throwing at the edge of the strike zone in August, though. Important stuff here for Kenley. He's not going to induce many double plays. Never been a ground ball pitcher. Ground ball to fly ball ratio this year is 0.5 fourth lowest out of 164 qualified relievers. Base runners are... 8 for 10 stealing on him this year. So, not great overall with Kenley as of late. Really cool milestone. Starting pitcher Adam Wainwright and catcher Yadier Molina for the St. Louis Cardinals, they made their 325th career start together on Wednesday night. Major league record for the most as a team, as a combo. It's incredible. And just to give you an idea, the next active pair, Kyle Hendricks and Wilson Contreras have 105 starts together. Wow. Blue Jays star Vladimir Guerrero hits 100th career home run, his 100th career home run. So 28 this year, 28 home runs. So he's 23 years old, 182 days, the youngest Blue Jays player ever to reach 100 home runs. Faster than Carlos Delgado. Two years faster than his father, Vlad Sr. But Vlad Sr. did it in less games. Ronald Acuna did it last year at 23 years old, and as did Juan Soto this year. Speaking of young studs in baseball, Julio Rodriguez, going to be the rookie of the year, 25th stolen base and 25 home runs third rookie in league history to have 25 steals and 25 home runs in their first season. He's been incredible. Just awesome. Had to give him a a shout out. In that next sort of tier, the Phillies, Padres, Guardians, and Brewers are all trying to find their way into the playoffs. And Soto has really been struggling, producing his lowest average exit velocity, barrel rate, hard hit rate since 2018, his rookie season. He's making poor contact, weak contact. And his numbers are brutal. He's hitting 120 since August 27th, 180 slugging. 
9.1 barrel percentage. Similar exit velocity and hard hit rate, but the average launch angle way different. So he's struggling. Things have not have not gone well for the Padres since they made their big trade. That last tier for fan graphs of the teams that have a shot at making the playoffs, White Sox, Twins, and Orioles, they're on the outside looking in. They're battling. Orioles really overachieving this year. It would be cool if they could somehow have a, a really fun end of the season and, and sneak their way in in a wild card spot. So, uh, yeah, the Twins, though, did have uh, AL batting leader Luis Arias have to leave the game on Wednesday with a hamstring tightness. So if he's not 100% down the stretch, that will hurt their chances quite a bit. One of the reasons why Cleveland's been so good, Bieber, his velocity is ticked up, but his slider's movement and the consistency of the pitch has really helped. So, didn't get the chance to talk a whole lot of baseball this year. We'll definitely focus on baseball in the coming weeks and uh, and months now as we have just a few weeks left. And then on to the playoffs. With the holiday season coming up, it's the perfect time to head to sarahcandles.com and check out a candle. Candles for all different seasons. Halloween, not far off. And then you have Thanksgiving and Christmas. If you're looking for gifts for someone, if you're just looking to freshen up the house a little bit, sometimes uh, cooking goes wrong or, you know, you have some of the kids around or some pets, they can be a a little odor. SarahCandles.com, all natural, soy wax candles, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. They are better for you. The soy wax will burn longer for you so it's more affordable and you won't have to get as many when you use the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your order. Let's find out more about Sarah Candles. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. C-E-R-A Candles. Dot com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you. 10% off. Mm-hmm. Let's talk some college football. Let's uh, dish out a few college football plays for this week. Actually, the one play that I really like that's not like a major game, Purdue on the money line and Purdue-Syracuse under 60. These two teams have played bad, bad defenses. These are going to be the best defenses that they've played so far. It's just going to be tougher for both of them to move the ball against each other. So I'm leaning Purdue on the money line in a a close spread, and Purdue-Syracuse, it's up to 60. I'm going to go under. Now, let's talk about some of the big games this weekend. You have Oklahoma versus Nebraska. This game has moved down. It was around 13-14. Oklahoma is an 11-point favorite against Nebraska this weekend at Nebraska. And you have Nebraska with that fired coach bump. They just fired their head coach, Scott Frost. He was... 16-31 16-31 and 31 as a head coach with 22 losses coming by 8 points or less. 5-22 and 22 in those games. They lost to Oklahoma last year, 23-16. New head coach Mickey Joseph was one time a high-level recruit that Nebraska and Oklahoma actually fought over. And the offense is actually big strength. Even with a bad start to the season, they're still averaging 36 points per game through their first three. 
The defense allowed 642 yards last week, ranked 124th in the nation in yards allowed per game. But Nebraska has been good as an underdog, 7-1 against the spread in their last eight games as a dog. Lots of positives there. Oklahoma, since the start of last year, they are 0-4-1 against the spread on the road. They punted on their first four possessions last week. They had a seven-yard rush. They had seven yards total rushing in the first half. Then they went on a 33-0 run over 19 minutes against Kent State to win that game by 30. But Kent State only had 131 yards passing, 3.2 yards per carry. Back-to-back 30-point victories for Oklahoma to open the season. Transfer quarterback Gabriel has had a good start to the year, completing 70% of his passes, five touchdowns, no interceptions, and no turnovers yet in two games for Oklahoma. I, I missed the number. I mean, I would lean Nebraska at, at double digits here, but I didn't get the best of the numbers, so I, I probably won't be diving into that game. But we'll see if Nebraska can uh, can improve now with the, the fired coach bump. BYU-Oregon. Big game this weekend. You have a, a BYU team who is getting ready to move into the Big 12 next year. BYU is a very good football team. They have a loaded schedule. They're currently ranked number 12. They're a top 15 team, depending on what sort of metrics that you're looking at. They're playing an Oregon team that's still at the bottom of the top 25. BYU 2-0 and to open their season. Oregon 1-1 and to start. And this game has Oregon favored by about three and a half points or so at home. Let's dive into some of the uh, the numbers. Oregon is not covered in each of their past four games against AP-ranked opponents. They are 1-5 against the spread in their last five non-conference games. 10-19-1 against the spread in September since the start of 2014. That's the worst covering percentage in the Pac-12 over that span. 13-2 straight up, 11-4 against the spread since 1995 when favored at home by less than four. They scored 70 last week after getting blown out, losing 49-3 to Georgia in week one. Bo Nix had five touchdown passes in less than three quarters last week. It was a career high. Seven different players scored touchdowns for Oregon. The defense held Eastern Washington to 87 yards passing. It was the first time Oregon has allowed less than 100 yards passing in almost five years. It was their 20th straight win at home, but they're just 2-5 and five against the spread in their last 7 at home. On the BYU side, 10-4 and four against the spread as a road underdog with their current head coach. Last week, they beat Baylor even after missing a 35, then a 37-yard field goal late in the game. They were lucky to win that game in overtime. They held Baylor to under 300 yards of total offense. But they were only able to produce 360 yards of total offense themselves without the top two wide receivers who were out dealing with injuries. They're forced to run the ball more. 33 carries, but just 83 yards. They're just 5-13 and 13 in their last 18 games straight up as a road underdog. BYU is 3-19 and 19 on the road versus ranked teams this century, but 2-3 and three in their last five. On the Oregon side, Bo Nix has been very good at home overall. He's <clears throat> Obviously transferred to Oregon this year, so he's played at different locations. But at home, completion percentage, 8% better. Yards per pass, 2 full yards better. 6 touchdown to to interception ratio. On the road, he has more interceptions than touchdowns. 15-4 and at home. This will be his 15th game versus a top 15 opponent. 3-11 and straight up 
54% completion percentage, less than 200 yards per game, 8 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. BYU got aggressive last week, a 38% blitz rate that led to 10 negative plays created by the BYU defense. I like BYU in this spot. I know it's a tough spot for them coming off of a you know big game last week, but I still think it's a good spot for BYU at over a field goal there, so I'm definitely leaning BYU in that one. Next game, Penn State versus Auburn. This game is around three. Penn State is a favorite on the road. Uh, they are at Auburn. Penn State, a three-point favorite here, total around 47. Penn State, 1-4 against the spread since 2020 when the line falls between a three-point favorite and a three-point dog. 5-1 and one against the spread in September the last two years. They beat Auburn 28-20 last year. Freshman running back Singleton has been very efficient, 210 yards rushing on just 20 carries. On the Auburn side, they failed to cover each of their last five non-conference games. 6-9 and nine against the spread under their current coach. That's the third worst cover percentage in the conference since the start of last year. They were down 10-7 at halftime against San Jose State last week. And they have 247 yards per game rushing, which ranks 14th nationally. No real strong opinion there. I'd lean Penn State, but I I don't like I wouldn't want to lay the points on the road like that at, at that short number with in this spot. So probably a stay away here for me. A game that has moved quite a bit. Michigan State versus Washington. Michigan State was a big favorite early in the summer, and then after all the personnel changes, this number has moved all the way to Washington minus three and a half. So Washington's a three and a half point favorite here at home against Michigan State. Penix, the quarterback for Washington, he was a transfer from Indiana, and he transferred with the same head coach that coached Indiana. In 2019, he had an adjusted accuracy more than 80%, 8.6 yards per pass attempt, and more than a 3-1 to touchdown pass to turnover-worthy play ratio. Looks like the wide receiver Rome should be returning for Washington. Will the wide receiver Reed return for Michigan State? Last year, Michigan State was 9th in EPA per run allowed, 89th in EPA per pass. Gotta be better against the pass. Left tackle for Washington named Kirkland. He's going to try to play. Michigan State defense is dealing with some injuries to Henderson and Snow. Washington has some questions on the defense with guys returning from injuries. They're not quite operating at all strength yet. Through not a lot of depth either. Through two games, they've only stuffed 9% of runs. Their defensive line has given up 3.3 line yards per rush, one of the worst scheduled adjusted rates in the country. Washington is outside the top 100 in EPA per pass allowed. On the Michigan State side, 4-1 against the spread as a dog since the start of last year. 5-1 against non-conference opponents since the start of last year. Their last four games in September all went under. They have a nice 1-2 punch at running back. Going to be their first trip to Washington in 52 years. Last week they ran for 260 yards and 6 touchdowns. Uh, receiver Jalen Reed not expected to miss any time after a, a hard fall last week forced him to leave at halftime. Quarterback Thorne had four touchdown passes in game one, but last week two interceptions and been a little bit sloppy. Some overthrows and has been missing targets. Since the start of 2018, the under is 9-2 in Washington games against ranked opponents. And uh, this quarterback, Indiana transfer, led Indiana 
with this current coach to a win over Michigan State in 2020. He had 20 straight completions in that game. 46 for 66 to start this year, 682 yards passing, six touchdowns, one interception, and a 2-0 start. So, I mean, Washington on paper and in the matchup, everything looks good, but from a pure gambling standpoint, it would be hard not to take the Michigan State number based on how much it's moved the other way. Let's get to Miami, Texas A&M. There could be some major injuries in this side. Looks like Miami's going to be without a key wide receiver here. Um... Texas A&M, currently a five, five and a half point favorite in this game. I don't know. It's a little bit scary because they just don't score a whole lot of points. That's what's the problem with them laying any sort of bigger numbers. Now, their offense is miserable. How can it become more explosive than what we've seen from them so far? Can it? Their starting center will return. He's a big leader for this team. He's had mono the last couple weeks, though, so we're not exactly sure physically if he's going to be 100% and ready to rock and roll. Now, this number's actually all the way up to 6.5 now for Texas A&M. 29% of their runs have been stuffed at or behind the line of scrimmage so far. This offensive line has not played well. But their defense is great. Four of their last six opponents have scored four, uh, have scored 17 points or less. They've only allowed two touchdowns so far this year on 23 drives. They've had a three and out on 43% of their defensive series. And Jackson and Nolan could be back on the defensive line for them. Starting corner, Jalen Jones could also return for Texas A&M. On the Miami side, they had 17 third downs last week against Southern Miss. They just had no success on early downs. Wide receivers couldn't get separation, and now they're going to be without a key wide receiver. They had to do a flea flicker against Southern Miss last week. They're towards the bottom of the country in schedule-adjusted explosiveness. They're outside the top 100 in bypassing third downs. Last week against Southern Miss, quarterback Van Dyke had a 12% turnover-worthy play rate from a clean pocket. Miami, 5-1 against the spread as a road dog since the start of 2019. They've covered three straight games as an underdog. But just 3.5 yards per carry last week. They only led 10-7 at the half versus Southern Miss. They allowed four sacks. A couple more tidbits for Texas A&M. The under 7-0 in their last seven September games. 15-6-1 against the spread against non-conference opponents since the start of 2017. They only had 180 total yards against the team from Appalachian State last week that gave up 63 points to North Carolina and 567 total yards in week one. They got absolutely dominated in that game by Appalachian State, too. It wasn't even as close as the score. Appalachian State had 22 first downs to 9 for Texas A&M. Time of possession, 41 minutes for Appalachian State to just 18 for Texas A&M. And A&M had a kick return 95 yards for a touchdown score. Looks like they're going to be making a quarterback switch. A&M, Miami, up at 6.5. I'd probably take Miami in here if I had to. No real strong opinion. But those are some of the big college football games of the weekend. If you want to find out more, come hang out. 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Friday evening. We have our Campus Profits show over at BTV Bets at Better Than Vegas. We're going to dive into everything going on in the world of college football. We'll talk about those games a little bit more and then give out some additional best bets. So that is over on Friday. Right now, we shift from college football to NFL football 
week two with Eric. Game by game, we preview everything happening on Sunday and on Monday. Uh, Didn't hit the Thursday game because it was going as we were playing. So we talk about the 15 games coming up this weekend and on Monday. Eric joins us and we discuss everything. Line movement, injury report, DFS and fantasy players to attack, game analysis, everything that happened in week one, a deep dive into NFL week two, game by game. NFL Week 2 Game Previews. Eric joins me as he has uh, every single week for the last few years. We're going to dive into all of the games on Sunday and on Monday. We're recording on Thursday as the Thursday night game has already started, so we won't talk about that one. But Eric, last week, you and I went through every game, and this year, every week, we're going to do our our uh, mythical Circa entry. And together, we were 3-2 and two to start. Not bad. Very easily could have had a 4-1 and one week, but... When you're season long, we'll take three and two weeks uh, all the way through, right? Yeah, I mean, you'll take three and two. Um, just want to come out making money. I feel overall as a unit, United really well last week. Um, yeah, we sniffed out you know, a lot of the good dogs and like some right. some really like overpriced favorites for sure. It, it would have been better if uh, you know we could have got the Texas money line and the uh, what's the other money line? We Falcons. Had? Falcons money line, but you know what? Uh, we live and we go on. So yep. uh, we'll we'll hit all of the Sunday games. We're gonna start and we're gonna go through the lines with our friends uh, that are over at Bet Fred, and we start with Carolina and the Giants. So Eric, this number right now settling around two. The Giants are a two point favorite at home. They open up the season one and zero after defeating the Titans. The Panthers had the Baker Bowl. They lose on a 58-yard field goal uh, as time expires. On the Panthers' side, Robbie Anderson had five receptions for 106 yards. Baker looked like a guy who hadn't played a whole lot and taken as many reps with the first team as he should have. He was fumbling the balls a little bit. One turnover-worthy play, one big-time throw. Offensive line didn't look great. Rookie tackle gave up two sacks and four pressures. Of course, that was to Miles Garrett. The Panthers gave up 140 yards rushing to Nick Chubb. They had the second worst rush defense overall in opening week, allowing 217 yards. Now they actually face a Giants team who rushed for 238 yards last year, uh, last, not last year, last week, 164 from Barkley, the most of any player last week, just 57 yards for McCaffrey. So he was a little quiet. Let's go to the Giants side. Uh, The Giants with their new regime, they went for too late to win the game. I thought that was kind of cool. You go for too late. You would kind of inspire, you're on the road, and your team makes a big play for you. And if if you lose, looks like a bad move, you hit it, so it looks great. Um, weird advanced stats in this game. Only the Chiefs and Bills had more yards per play than the Giants, 6.79. But the mm. Giants had a negative EPA on the day and just a 36% success rate on plays. Daniel Jones was awful. Barkley was great. Jones had a negative 0.29 EPA per dropback, better only than Dak through Sunday's games. He was sacked five times, strip sacked, and he only completed 29% of passes for more than 10 yards down the field. That was the fourth lowest rate of the week. Barkley, week high, 164 rushing yards. 22% of his carries were for 10 or more yards. He also had a 33% target share as a receiver. 
and 112 yards after contact. Three explosive runs, four first down rushes, and a touchdown. He was awesome. So give us some of your uh, analysis on this game or some of your early thoughts. Um, Certain things I look to do is fade Daniel Jones at home, and especially look to fade Daniel Jones when he's a favorite, and especially when he's a home favorite. Um, As a favorite, 29% against the spread. As a home favorite, 25% against the spread. At Excuse me, playing at home, he's only 39% against the spread. This guy just doesn't cover when he plays in the Meadowlands. And let's be honest, the NFL is all about selling low and buying high. Oh, sorry. Selling high and buying low. My there fault. we go. And Strike that, reverse it. Yeah, yeah. You, you did the way uh, Yeah. You know, um, you made a great comment when you're on my live stream earlier this week about how G not Gino, excuse me. Um Baker looked a lot better in the second half once he got his feet wet. Yep. Um, it's it's to the point now where I really think that this week one, like you need to have these starters get a little reps because in week one, nobody plays up. in the preseason yeah. games anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's killing these teams at, at the start of these games. They teams used to play one or two preseason games. Your guys would play a half or a couple series and they just don't at all anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they don't. Um, it was great. Don't get me wrong. I've been the biggest Saquon Barkley fan in the world. It was great to see him, you know, do well. But if you rewatch the tape, it was two big runs. On both runs, he was caught from behind. Yep. Um, personally, I look at it, and I know the Panthers, like, gave up an insane amount of yards to Nick Chubb. But that's Cleveland. That's Nick Chubb. Cleveland, one of the better offensive lines. Besides Thomas, I really don't think anyone in this Giants offensive line had a great game. I think the Panthers' front seven is a lot better. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to take advantage of their issues in the back. Um, and I mean, when you, when you watch it and when you see everything that had to happen for them to win that game, Bullock missed a field goal. Um, of all Saquon of the Saquon Barkley, you know, it should have been stopped. You know, the guy missed the tackle on the backfield going for two. Um, they had the um, football outsiders this year has a new like game winning expectancy statistic. And of all of the games last week, the team of the teams that won the giants were the least likely winner of their game based on, you know, all the, if that game was simulated repeatedly a hundred times, they, they were the least likely winner of a game that won last week. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It is what it is. They won the game, you know, but I think the giants are a little too overvalued um, right now. I don't think they should be because this number was, this number's move three. This yep. was, one in for Carolina. I absolutely love the Panthers here. I locked him in at two. This probably will be one of our five plays then. We'll we'll jot it down because I'm fine. I'm on the Panther side here absolutely too. I think these two teams are pretty close to evenly matched. I would lean Carolina, but I just think that New York's getting a little too much value right now. And the points that you mentioned about uh, Jones at home, not great. I think it's a little bit better of a matchup too for Carolina overall. Uh, so we're both leaning on the Carolina side plus two here. Anything else you want to mention about this game? Fantasy wise, DFS stuff, um, positives, negatives. Um, one thing I'm really into is um, snap share. Uh, when we did, when you and I were taught you, myself and Kyle were talking on the BTV show and we mentioned how Carolina has an elite receiving group with Chanel Marshall um, Anderson. Warren, yeah. And Anderson. 
looking at the snap share, Moore and Anderson played every single down. So maybe this isn't as big of a um, share as we initially thought. And those two are the clear, clear alphas. So game one on Sunday in the books, Panthers, Giants, we're both leaning Panthers. Let's move to Colts, Jags. So right now we see Indy minus four on the road at Jacksonville, a rematch of the last year and the Jags kept the Indianapolis Colts out of the playoffs. How many times straight has Jacksonville beat Indy? Um, I'm looking at... Is it seven? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Right is one, six, and one ATS versus the Jaguars. Um, He's 0-3-1 ATS when the spread is more than three. So on the Jaguars side, we saw Robinson and Etienne almost even in splits as far as their snaps are concerned. Etienne was leading the way in the first half, as would as we would have assumed, because Robinson was coming off an injury. Etienne was the number one back. Then he fumbled at the end of the half on a play that would have been a touchdown, and he got lit up. So Robinson ends up getting the bulk of the snaps in the second half. He looked really good, and he got a lot of touches, like out of the backfield and uh, you know catching the ball too. Um, Kirk, who you talked quite a bit about last week. He looked very good. He caught six of nine passes for 117 yards. He had 50 yards after contact and forced missed, uh, missed tackle. On the offensive line, they struggled a little bit. Guard Ben Barch had a game-high five pressures allowed. They were ranked dead last by Pro Football Focus in week one with um, four of their five starters allowing multiple pressures. Only Cam Robinson earned an above-average grade as a run blocker. Now... We can also take that with a little grain of salt because Washington has a pretty good defensive front, right? So we can counter that and say it played against an above average defensive front. Did have 13 penalties for 90 yards. And I mean, they were, they were leading the game in the fourth quarter, but that loss was their 30th in their last 34 games. Seeing that out loud is just nasty. 30 out of their last 34 games they've lost. I, I will say this. We need to keep in key. My, my notes on the Jaguars say front seven much improved. Yep. Uh, Lawrence is actually getting coaching. There's going to be times where he looks really good and times where he makes mistakes that a rookie quarterback makes. Uh, I feel if you look at the class from two years ago, the one that looked the best yet on Sunday was Trevor Lawrence. Um, he, he looked like he should have looked, uh, this team's just going to shoot themselves in the foot. They're going to yeah. make some bad losses. Yep. I, I think the thing that kind of, um, that we need to kind of talk about is the Indianapolis Colts, man. Like they're, it's they a weird like, game. It's a weird game because everything that you look at in the box score says the Colts should have won that game by 20. They dropped two different touchdown passes in the end zone on different drives. And those drives ended up getting them zero and three. So instead of 14, they got three. They had 90 plays compared to 68 for Houston. 517 total yards compared to 299 for Houston. 5.7 yards per play compared to 4.4. Over nine more minutes in time of possessions. But it's just a weird, you know, they missed the field goal. They missed... Then and those drop passes, two turnovers, seven penalties for 89 yards. They just look like a team 
for a, for a guy that gets talked about as a good coach, he does not prepare his team very well coming out of training camp at I all. Mean, we saw that fourth down every year, fourth down and one. They ran the wildcat with Nick, Nick, Naheem Hines. Like that, that's like just that, that play doesn't make sense. They're down 17. You're um, not going to, I know they went to overtime and I know they went to almost to the end of overtime. Right. But this team, Matt, Matt Ryan's play. throwing 50 times. Yeah. This like team, Matt Ryan threw 50 times. Yep. The tackles didn't look good. This team needs a second wide receiver. The kid Pierce, they got is banged up. He may not play. Pittman has the potential to be good, but they just need someone that can take some stress off of Pittman because Pittman's not at that level yet where he can be like, I'm trying to think of someone, a one that can just create separation at will. You know no, what I mean? No, like he's not he, at that level, especially because he's going to get double and triple, yeah. especially now after what's happening with their wide receivers dropping passes early. So it's one of those things where three pointers that shooters that are open or missing shots, you're going to, you're going to make, you're going to let them make them. Yep. So they beat you, you know, um, I don't, I would not lay the number with the Colts. Let me put it this way in this game at all. I'm not, I mean, I I'm definitely leaning more to the Jag side. I don't know if it's a game that I'm going to play and make one of my plays for the weekend, but in a situation where I'm in one pool where you have to pick every game with the point spread every week, you know, I definitely would pick the Jags at over a field goal here. I got the Jags at four and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's it's coming. It's come down a lot. Like when I looked a couple hours ago, I think it was at three and a half. Um, so they they cut Blankenship too, right? Yeah, Blankenship is gone. He missed um, a forty-two yard field goal with one minute and fifty-seven seconds remaining. They waved him. Can't on be Tuesday. missing game-winning field goals in no. the NFL. Um, I mean, you, yeah, you usually like right don't lose games or, half, or, it's or don't, right now. don't win games when you have five hundred seventeen total yards, one hundred sixty-one yards rushing. They were down twenty to three in this game, in that game. I mean, they could have gotten blown out, but when we get to the Texans, we'll talk more about them. That's the one problem with kind of with Arthur Smith and with, with Lovey is that they are great overachievers as a coach, but then they get to a certain point where they just start getting so like tentative and playing it safe. And like, they're really I old Lovey should have went for it. I know I did too, because what are you at the end of the game? Yeah. What are you what are you playing for yeah. to lose if you're the Texans? Right? Yeah, I think he should have went for it. I was a yeah. disappointed that he didn't go for it. Me too. So Colts, um, yeah, as far as like there's nothing on the Colts side on the DFS side that I'm looking at. Kirk was really good last week. Um, I mean, obviously Robinson and Etienne is the situation to monitor with the running backs there. Anything else you want to mention with these two teams? Um No, I like I liked what I saw from James Robinson. I felt bad about what happened to him last. Me too, year. because we we liked him a lot the last couple of years. He's just a he's a hardworking guy yeah. that deserved his opportunity, and he might have gotten a little lucky by uh, you know maybe Etienne's misfortunes early yeah. in the in the half. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Let's go Miami Baltimore. This is a fun game. It's a pretty kind of intriguing game early in the year. We have both of these teams who won last week. Miami beat the Patriots, Baltimore beat the Jets. Are we seeing right around three and a half or so, right? Baltimore's a three and a half point favorite here yeah, over right. under yeah, 44 three. and a half. Yep. So on Miami side, obviously they bring in some new pieces, new coaching staff. Tyreek Hill comes in eight catches for 94 yards, 12 targets. 
Edmonds dominated the snaps on third downs. He led the team in rushing share, snap count, and route participation, and target share among running backs. So don't worry too much. If you're looking for a back there, I would still lean Edmonds. Um, Tyreek looks like he's, I mean, he's getting the ball short because getting the ball long is not an option here. Yeah. But Tua, it's, it's just, don't expect to see Tyreek way down the field because there were one or two times when I was rewatching the game where it was like, it wasn't like his body language was bad, but you could just sound great. He would run a play down that he normally may have run for Kansas City. And then it was like, oh, yeah. uh-oh, I got no shot. I got no shot getting the ball down here. So it'll be a little different for him. I thought you might like this uh, this quote from uh, PFF. Talked about the Dolphin, the Dolphins offensive line that showed a little bit of improvement from last year, but they said quote, the Dolphins offensive line is still five mall cops trying to stop a looting spree, <laughs> which I, that's pretty good. I'm picturing that now in my head, like the, the, the rent of cops there. Um, that's that pretty was, good. Was um, great. My thing with this is Harbaugh eight and one ATS versus the Finns, 55% ATS at home, 70% ATS as a favorite of minus four or less. Um, tends to cover these small numbers. The big uh, thing we need to monitor what's going on with Ronnie Ronnie Staley. He did not practice today. Also, we need to monitor what is going on. And because if he doesn't, he hasn't been able to return yet. And James, who was filling in for him, he got hurt. Yep. So he's out. So if it's not Staley or not Stanley, it's a uh, it's going to be a third string left tackle. Yep. So that could be a, a serious point of weakness for them right there. Um, Dobbins practicing full today, so it looks like he's back, which is good. Um, I don't know, like I, I'm still not buying this Dolphins team. Um, you know the big. Yeah, uh, I don't. Not a know, ton they, of pressure from the defense, but they did combine they three for, turnovers. Uh, it was so Dolphinsy again, right? They did have five forced incompletions, and they look good. The defense looked good against a Matt Patricia and Joe Judge offense. This kind of pumped the pumped the brakes a little bit. Yeah, they were number uh, one against the run last week in run stop win rate, so that's a positive against Lamar. Now keep in mind they played Lamar really well last year. Uh-huh. Miami beat them in that game. Was it on Thursday night when they had all, they had their safeties come up and sort of help stop the run game a little bit. Same yeah. defensive coordinator from last year. Then they had great success against Baltimore. The Ravens offense only had a 44% successful play rate. Lamar was sacked four times in that game. Yeah. So. Uh, somebody did tell me Lamar wants to go to Miami. So my, Lamar could be trying out here for Miami. Right. Um, he, you know what he, you know, and you, I mean, you talked about when, when we spoke there on your show, you know, he, he didn't run a whole lot in some situations that looked like, Normally, he would have taken off and, and run. Overall, they didn't run the ball well as a team. Just three yards per carry. Well, I 60... think that's more with the, the line. That, no, their run scheme is just so advanced. And they just literally just brought Kenyon Drake off. The so it just ball. takes. I think it, it just takes so much time for them, for these guys to comprehend. Because, you know, their run, their run scheme is just absolutely insane that they run. It's totally different than anything else in the league. Now... Lamar, so that's 63 yards. That was the fewest total rushing yards in a game that Lamar has started. He only had six carries, 17 yards. You know, watching it back again, he he talked in the offseason about how he thought he maybe needed to bulk up a little bit. He looks a little big. 
mm-hmm. you know, like a little, like a little pudgy. I'm not saying like fat, I'm not trying to fat shame anyone or anything, but he just looks like me. And sometimes you put a little weight on, it takes a little bit to like, you know, you're not, you just don't have as much burst on top of the fact that the contract situation, I think post game, he was like eating popcorn and stuff and like continuing to talk about how he wants to put on more weight. And he kind of looked a little bit, a little bit hefty. So I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on that for sure. Um, he did throw the ball pretty well though. He had three big time throws and a 72.4% adjusted completion rate, which accounts for drops. So um, I don't really know if I want any of the receivers to count on like Duvernay and Bateman. You, you shout out to you because when we talked about which wide receiver you would have preferred, you mentioned Duvernay who caught two touchdown passes, but he only played like 50% of the team's offensive snaps on pass routes. So that's not going to sustain. Um, I, I don't know if ba- Bateman's probably more sustainable as far as like season wide, but where you drafted these guys and what their value may return, you know, and Duvernay. Like, right. If you're in a deep league, he's a good option. Yeah. Great guy to store. Um, Cause he only needs like one, like we saw yeah, with him. He's a flyer be, guy. Yeah. So one catch could be a touchdown for him. Uh, this team's never going to be a, um, never going to be a, um, uh, what is them? What's the word? I'm a pass heavy attack. Yeah. Like a prolific passing attack. So Dobbins, you mentioned, we think he's coming back, right? It, he's been practicing in full. So if I had to guess, he would definitely be playing. Missed all of last year after the ACL injury in the final preseason game. He returned to practice full this week as a rookie in 2020, in 2020, he was the third, he had the 13th best rushing grade among running backs. According to pro football focus, 805 yards, nine touchdowns. Just a couple other things to point out uh, on this game. Last week, Baltimore was 26th in adjusted rush efficiency against the Jets. 30th in yards before first contact. That O-line was not getting much push. And you mentioned the backs seemed a little bit confused about where to hit the holes and who to follow and when to follow. The uh, head coach for Miami, he's more of a specialist with the run game and a run game coordinator. You know, he was the run game coordinator for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. So this game, I the numbers already dipped too low for me, I think, to play it because I missed like getting it at a better number. But this game smells like and really feels like an under type game to me because yeah, it's, it feels like an under type game. Like if this dips down to three, I'll probably take the Ravens minus the three. But at the three and a half, it's just at this dead zone right now. Especially if we think it's going to be low because Miami was 27th in neutral situation pace last week. Mm-hmm. You think because they have Tyreek Hill in here, they're going to be this high flying team. They're not that they're, they're going to be a slow, deliberate team. And that's exactly what Baltimore is too. Think about Miami. It took a fourth and seven touchdown for 42 yards right before halftime. And then a defensive touchdown for them to get 20 points. They didn't look great. Like I said, like everyone's no. kind of a little bit hyped up on them. Uh, Hill saying the coach has big balls and everything, you know, it's just, look, it's, this is a perfect selling high on Miami spot. We just need yeah. that number to drop down to three right now. Both starting tackles have missed practice this week. They had to sign another tackle. Whenever you see them bring in another like that, that tells you they're worried that these guys are not going to be able to play or these injuries may be serious. The Baltimore defense last week, they were really good uh, before garbage time, 47%. So basically half of the Jets yards came once the Ravens were up by 21. Yeah. When the, the box was- score is a little deceiving. Yep. 
because the game was just over. Yeah. And that's when the Jets had a couple long drives. So anything else you want to mention on this game, Eric, before we move along? No. Let's go to Patriots Steelers. So we have the 0-1-1 New England Patriots. They just lost to the Dolphins that we were just talking about. You have Pittsburgh, who's 1-0. They win a game in overtime against Cincinnati. That is just such a Pittsburgh way to win. So uh, Mac Jones had some back spasms. Reportedly, he's going to play and looks fine for Pittsburgh. Najee Harris, high ankle sprain, but he only played 77% of the snaps. He, which I think he did only... He only played less than that, I think, one time last year. He was always on the field. But he looks like he's fine, and he should be ready to rock and roll. Fryermuth led the Steelers in receiving yards, was second in target. So he's like a solid tight end, you know, if you're not wanting to spend up on, like, the top, top-tier tight ends because with this quarterback situation, I don't know how deep and down the field they're going to be able to go a whole lot. They're probably going to need a lot of short so passes. He can throw it down the field, though. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he, he, that's a good point. He can sling it, and he's not – afraid of doing it i just don't know if with the offensive line if they're going to have the time to do that often enough the offensive line only gave both running backs one yard before contact one offensive line has issues you know we've been saying this for two years now they never addressed it and it's showing um tj watt injury obviously for the steelers so how about this one Um, Watt? they're zero and four in games played without watt since he's been drafted I'll say this too. How about Mika Fitzpatrick? That INT that blocked uh was incredible. Blocked uh blocked field goal or extra point at camp of spacing and what it was. Yep. Like it's just block, I think block extra point at the yeah. at the end of the I game. Mean, it was right? a great yeah. effort by him. But at the end of the day, you, you you can look at it like this. You forced five turnovers, you went to overtime and you won by three. Um this team definitely has some issues. Uh Najee, and this is my worry with him without Big Ben there who can't who couldn't throw the ball down the field he's not going to get as many targets now yep. he's hurt um he said he wanted to play Tomlin's quote was hold on big fella yeah so I'm not really sure they're going to play um the line just seems really fishy to me with that being said you know I how is, has it moved around at all right now we're seeing Patriots minus two so they're a two-point favorite on the road this is probably now that it seems like uh Max going to play I mean, you know, but like, I'm just like Tomlin, 82% ATS as a dog, 66% ATS. Um, this is another just Steelers spot. Doesn't it yeah. feel like just a, like a Steelers win this game? I'm not that impressed with the Patriots. I mean, again, the Steelers are not good. They punted yeah. last week eight times. Their offense averaged 3.7 yards per play in regulation. Trubisky's 5.1 yards per pass attempt, third lowest average of any starting quarterback last week. 55% completion percentage rate, fifth from the bottom. I mean, not a lot of great, but the Patriots did not look impressive at all. That offense is not good, and I don't like the guys behind it either. So I'm not expecting it to improve a whole lot. You know about Patricia. It's Judge is the other one too, right? Joe Judge, like probably the two worst coaches. Um, My thing is this, is... You know, another thing, Tomlin's 7-0 ATS as a home dog after covering the previous game. I mean, all the trends say to take the Steelers. Patriots 1-5 ATS in their last six road games. Um, How about this one? The Patriots have not started 0-2 since 2001. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the Belichick love in the market. Yeah, Um, I mean, because it's 20 years, but this isn't... 
all of those Patriot trends, that's why I don't like going back any farther than just about a year because anything with Brady is way different than if we're dealing with Mac Jones here. Yep. Well, they do have that one year when Castle was the quarterback. So and, I guess and yeah. You can kind of use that a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, this game, this this line just seems like a trap. If it seems like a trap, I'm just going to stay away. So I have no action in this game. Lots of movement in the offseason from the Patriots' offensive line. They still don't really look all that comfortable. They didn't run the ball all that well against Miami. Uh, Steelers scored 17 points off Bengals' turnovers. And they still just did not look all that impressive. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm leaning Pittsburgh, but I'm I'm probably going to be it's it's not my number one game but I'm, I'm leaning Pittsburgh it definitely feels like a Pittsburgh type game let's continue along we go Jets at Browns so the Browns are a six and a half point favorite in this game Jets uh six and a half point dog the total has dipped under 40 now it's 39 and a half we have the Browns who you know had a rookie kicker York hit the game winner from 58 they Ran the ball pretty well. They won the time of possession by almost 17 minutes in that game. Hunt had 11 carries, 46 yards, a touchdown, and then another receiving touchdown. Peoples-Jones led the team in routes, run, targets, receptions, receiving yards. So if you're looking for a, a receiver. That was kind of surprising to me. Right? You know, that was uh, that was kind of surprising that he uh, – He was the, the, the yeah. number one looking like – I mean, who knows if that's going to continue. But just those are the types of things that – we look at, right, snap count, EPA. Like, those are the things that are sustainable. Scores can come and go. Like, points scored can – but you look at the things that kind of week to week normally will stay. So, he was on the field and running a lot of routes. On the Jets side here, we have Michael Carter, who had 10 carries for 60 yards. Saw most of the third down work and the goal line and short yardage work. But this offensive line, man, they're in some serious trouble right now. They combined to allow 20 pressures last week. They signed Brown in the offseason to a two-year, $20 million contract, and now he's hurt. So Becton's out. Brown's hurt. So the problem is you use money to sign this guy, and now he's hurt immediately. So it's not like they have a whole bunch of options out there. The Patriots just signed a, a player on the for offensive line, depth who hasn't even played since last October, didn't participate in any training camp or preseason, to their practice squad because there's just no options out there right now for offensive linemen. They had Flacco through 59 passes. Well, I mean, the, game, the game did get a little odd. Sure. It was behind, but just 59. When you look down and see Flacco throwing that they were two for 14 on third down last week, yeah. which is bad, which is really, really bad. Chubb looked flipping amazing. Like he always does. Um, I am trying to pull this thing up, but it's not letting me, so I'm sorry. Um, it is teams that lost game one by 10 or more are on the road and are dogs. 62% against the spread. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, like, is there, what's the number that you dive in on this? Is this one of your plays? I'm waiting because I think there's going to be money coming in. On me too, because once it hits seven, I'm fine. Yeah, I want a seven. Like, well, and mainly, mainly just because this version of the Browns, they are not going to take – they're going to keep teams in the game. Like they could have put the game away early, but they don't go down the field. They just run the ball. They're not going to take shots. So 
they're going to keep a lot of teams in games if they're up with Brissett. I just think any number that's like five or above with the Browns, I'll probably almost always go the other way right now because yeah. I don't think they should be that big of a favorite over anyone. And then another thing is last three years, teams that didn't cover the previous week playing a team that did cover 57% ATS. Last two years, 62% ATS. Last year, 72% ATS. The value and the trends say to bet the um, Jets here, the Jets. But you know, I need a seven. This is one of those things you got to kind of like. You got now, you got to kind of figure out where your buy point is, and my buy point's a seven. So right now, I'm just kind of sitting back. Here's what's funny: at seven, I'm playing the Jets. I actually played the Browns as a survivor this week because I looked at the other survivors. I think the Browns will win this game but I don't want the Browns to lay a big number. The other survivor ones are big numbers this week that are a little bit scary. And I kind of wanted to stay like, everyone's going to go for those big numbers. They're going to go for 49ers. I didn't know if I wanted to play them right now against the Seahawks. Did I, I didn't know about the Rams against the Falcons. That's another big number. I think the bills Titans, that one kind of scares me a little bit. So some of those games uh, are a little scary to me. I thought this was sort of a, maybe not going to be one of the more obvious ones. I, I feel confident about the lines, really. That's what's that's what like I just don't think the Jets are going to be able to stop this offensive line in the run game enough yeah. to win the game. But, but I, I can think with how the Browns play, it's unrealistic for them to be expected to cover a big number. No, n- never. Like I said, um, never. Anytime it's big, especially like this, it's one of the first things you learn. If there's a number that's somewhat big, like six or above with the low total, you almost always want to take the the dog. Yeah. Let's yeah. move along. Anything else in this one? Um, No. Let's go Tampa Saints. So Tampa and Saints both want to know to start the year. Tampa beat the Cowboys on Sunday night football. Dak got hurt in that one. And the Saints come back and win a game that they were down big early to the Falcons. And the Falcons absolutely spit that game out. So some things to mention in here, probably one of the games where I have like some of the most notes on, on the Tampa side, Chris Godwin injury. What do we know right now about that? Eric? Okay. So got should have been playing in the first place. Yeah. Julio Jones tied Mike Evans for the highest route participation on the team. Now, what was kind of interesting about Julio to mention his his issues the last couple of years have been staying healthy. Brady reached out to Julio to recruit him. And apparently Julio has been on the TV 12 system to try to stay healthy. So he's changed up some of the things that he's done and like his body and the way some of the stuff that he's eating. And maybe that'll help him stay in the lineup a little bit more this year. But I like knowing that Brady recruited him, reached out to him and feels like someone that he really wants to succeed here with him. And we saw how much Brady was doing this with Antonio Brown too. So I think Brady might continue to look for, for Julio. He looked a little bit better than I I thought he might look. The key in these with these two teams is the you know the matchups here, where the Saints have beat Brady all four times that he's been with Tampa. I think they beat him seven times in a row now, because it, it comes down to pressure. Brady's only been pressured on twenty percent of his dropbacks as a Tampa Bay Buck against the Saints, thirty-two. When he's pressured against the Saints, Brady is eighteen for forty-two, three point eight yards per pass attempt, no touchdowns three interceptions with no pressure, clean pocket. 
81 for 120, 7.3 yards per attempt. So it's, you know, this is an interesting game. What What's the number? Like, are you in on this? I already, I bet it at three. I would wait right now. There's a lot of injury stuff going on in this game. Yeah. This is going to be a thing that dips between two and a half and three. Um, there's plenty of apps that you can set a little alert where you gets to three. I think at three, that's the buying point. Brady 0-4 ATS versus the Saints as the Bucks quarterback. Winston 3-0 as the Saints quarterback as a dog. 54% against the spread as a dog in his career. I know everyone's saying, oh, this offense from Tampa Bay looks so good. I thought Fournette looked good, but I don't really value the Cowboys defense that much. I think their Cowboys defense is a little bit overrated. Um, I really don't think Brady is 18 for 27, 212, one one uh, TD, one pick was that impressive. I wasn't that impressed at all by the Bucks, um offense. I wasn't either. My only problem um, is I was less impressed with the Saints' defense. That was the unit that I thought was going to be an awesome unit. They were not very good. And maybe they were looking ahead. I'm going to probably stay away from this game because it's a little scary to me, um, mainly because I just – there are a couple worries on – the Saints defense now where I'm 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 not sure if they're maybe a little bit less like dominant than we than we thought going into the year. That's one of my only worries about this matchup. I don't know if it's me being high on on Tampa. I'm and I'm probably Brady, gonna stay away. Yeah. And Brady I mean, struggles when teams bring bring pressure and they play man to man. That's what the Saints do. I think the Saints. Tampa's backup there. rookie, left guard, and a backup center. Also, Donovan Smith not practice this week. He looks like he's going to be able to go, but will he be 100%? Yeah, they got some injuries. Like So this line, we could see fluctuate. Kamara didn't practice this week. Yeah, the Saints were dead last in yards allowed per rush attempt uh, before first contact. Uh, they only pressured Mariota 10% of his dropbacks. Now, I'll give them a little bit of a mulligan because – it's hard sometimes when you play a guy like Mariota right off the bat. You really don't know exactly yeah, what they're going to do. Run. They had a linebacker it's, shadowing him. So they it's different than playing time. Brady, who's yeah, not going to be moving yeah, at like, all. It's, it's a completely different offense. And Allen's kind of showed he has the blueprint to beat the um, beat the Bucks. So Jameis. I like the three. Um, I mean, even my only problem is it players. is though I understand why yeah. it just seems I'm taking one of your angles here i'm worried that everybody's on this saints game as like their underdog of the week because uh-huh. a lot of the numbers lean to the saints right just the things that we're talking about like the the basic handicaps of the game and the fact that they've owned them i feel like it's almost too easy at the saints plus three at home and i'm hoping i'm not outthinking myself because this is something that you do and now i'm i'm doing it after watching you do it sometimes um but also <laughs> like it goes to the trend where the saints didn't cover the bucks did cover cover so it goes to that trend like i talked about last three years 57 62 72 percent against the spread um small divisional home dogs i love it you know i gotta how i bet it's saints or nothing i was able to get the three it's at two and a half right now i would wait if it gets to three i'd invest in it Right now, in my eyes, it's kind of a dead number. If you like the Bucks, um, maybe play the money line because it's just it's always a little funky laying these like weird numbers on the road. Weird stuff happens, especially in New Orleans. Saints secondary has two new safeties and a new third down linebacker, so that's why they weren't quite 
um, all together last week. Jameis as a starter for the Saints, six and two, 16 touchdowns, three interceptions. He looks pretty good. You know? but, he, but what's weird in those games, just 180 yards per game passing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last week, they only had a 40% success rate on runs. The O line was not moving Atlanta around. So they're probably not going to be able to run the ball against this Tampa defensive front, which you know, I'm telling is- you, Grady Jarrett is the most underrated player in the NFL. This guy is like one of the most underrated players in the NFL. And we'll get to it. Your, uh, your boys have some interior line issues. Yeah. He's going to eat against your boys. Um, when- uh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, no worries. So when they were forced to throw last week, that was when the Saints started playing well. Jameis Winston, um, his completion percentage was 12% above expectation. Only Josh Allen had a better percentage above expectation. And what I like about the Saints receivers, they fit each other pretty well. When you when you look at Olave, I, I saw from Landry. Well, because you hasn't been used like this, I don't think ever in the NFL. You got Olave, who's the stretch the field guy. You've got Landry, who's the possession, and then you've got Michael Thomas, who's like that little bit of everything—the big body who will go get you know, you know, go get you a touchdown. So they all slot really nicely with their roles. I I kind of like the way that they uh, they stack up. Tampa was dead last in run stop win rate last week. Uh, They didn't allow big explosive runs because that's not Zeke. So will be interesting. Maybe their defensive front l- like looked a little better than it did when you dive into it individually. We'll see how that plays out this weekend. The uh, uh, yeah, Fournette, you mentioned 127 uh, yards last week. Anything else? Uh, Taysom Hill, 81 yards on four carries. Yeah, I, I always know the fluke. Stay away from Taysom Hill. Don't worry. About I mean, the Falcons should have won this game last week. They fumbled at the Saints 14 with three minutes left in the third quarter. That took points off the board for them. Then they fumbled again. That later in the game that caused uh, what ended up causing the, the field goal. So Thomas, he looked good. Five catches, 57 yards, two touchdowns. Did have a couple drops early on. You mentioned Landry. We had safeties Landry, played. Landry looked phenomenal. It was but, great. Yeah. 114 yards, seven catches. Yeah. They won't, kicked a 51-yard field goal with 19 seconds left to win. 4-0 <laughs> versus Brady in the regular season. How about all four wins by nine-plus points? They yeah. beat him 38-3. to That's the largest b- defeat Brady has ever suffered. They beat him 9-0. to That was the first time he had been shut out in 15 years. So... They've just seemed like they've got his number for some reason. He's only completed 61% of passes, six touchdowns, eight interceptions, two lost fumbles, and got sacked 13 times. But uh, this team did allow 200 yards. The Saints did allow 200 yards rushing last week. You're on the Saints. I, I... I'm going to stay away. I thought, I just think it's a really intriguing game. Um, All the handicaps leading to the Saints. It's an interesting game. And maybe maybe it's one of those quote unquote sharp traps that, you know, the, the book's kind of banking on people to take the Saints. So let's go Washington, Detroit. Eric Washington beat the Jags last week. Your Detroit Lions, they were down, but they played pretty well against a, a good Philadelphia Eagles team. You have Jamal Williams, who saw double digit carries. Swift is dealing with an ankle injury he suffered late in the fourth. What do we know about that? Uh, I didn't practice today. So okay. um, Washington can't, can't stop the run. Um, I'll be. If Swift plays or like actually whoever the Lions starting running back is, I'll be on their over prop rushing. 
Yeah, um, Williams, he had double digit carries, so that's a positive. He didn't he he only had 28 yards rushing, but well, he, the was, carries, their, like, he was their goal line back. Yeah, so the I, carries like, were the key if you want to yeah, see. Um, um Decker and Ragnow dealing with some injuries too, though, on the offensive Decker line, was a right? Personal day. He's okay. fine. It was okay. just a personal day. Uh Frank the tank, he should be ready to go. Uh Washington, you know, their defense just didn't look good. Um you know, I didn't really like what I saw from their defense. Wentz, balls were still sailing. Um, you know, Dotson made a great catch. It should not have been a touchdown. They they should have lost the game to the Jaguars. Jaguars totally gave that game away. Uh, I will say this, though. Um, you know, my boy Curtis Samuel. Excellent. Uh, seven targets, 19th most scrimmage yards last week. Uh, they are using him kind of as we thought they would, kind of like the Debo guy because he was the original Debo. Uh, Lions do struggle against the run. I don't trust Antonio Gibson at all. Uh, I think they're going to use him more as a passing down back. Maybe a Curtis Samuel, if he has like a rushing prop of like a 15-16, maybe look at that. Um, I really want to play the Lions here. I like I really – because if the Lions to be anything this season, this is the game they have to win. If they don't win this game, it's the same old Lions. Like yeah, this is they, the game. You're right. After win, they're at home. Short favorite here against the in a winnable spot in a winnable game. This is just something you have to do. You absolutely have to win this game. Uh, you mentioned Samuel. Yeah, he had. Um, yeah, Samuel actually had eight eight of ten catches, fifty five yards touchdown, four rushes for seventeen. Like the other Samuel, like Debo, like yeah. he was he was studly. He was the original Debo. Yeah, we, we forget that he was the original Debo. Keep an eye on Logan Thomas. He was targeted on twenty percent of his routes. If you need a tight end or like a dart throw, he should see more and more time as he gets healthier. Allen Sweat and Payne combined for fifteen pressures, three sacks. Wentz, we got the good and the bad of Wentz. Two interceptions in the fourth quarter. A third that got taken away by a penalty, but then he threw some incredible passes. Uh, see, he I wasn't seven- impressed with him. Like I thought, some of his passes sailed. I thought Dobson made a insane catch and one yeah um, he he just giveth and taketh um yeah, pretty good so on third down bad. right seven of ten you mentioned Dotson, two touchdowns on five targets two or three catches in contested situations offensive line struggled a little bit turner and schweitzer earned really low pass blocking grades scott turner called a pass play on 70 percent of plays when the score was within three points which is 10 percentage points above I mean, the NFL average. Tells, tells you what they think of Antonio Gibson. Yeah, no, you're right. And so that's yeah. what I mean. I don't think these wide receivers might be guys to lean on this year, much more than their running yeah. game. So we may see that when they led by four or more, they still threw the ball 63% of the time, which is 12% more than the rest of the league. Yep. So they look like they're going to be operating just at a, a higher frequency here. Anything else you want to mention about this game? Uh, yeah. Washington, Detroit. I told you I like Detroit at this game at like anything under a field goal. This is a spot Detroit has to win. Can't start 0-2. Yeah. No they more have, moral victories. Have, excuse me. They have to win this game for their season to be anything. Let's go Atlanta versus the Rams. This one is starting to – it's moved quite a bit, right? This was about 13. Yep, it's moved And now lot. it's down to 10. Um, And the main thing is your boys have often some line issues. Uh, they sure do. Center – Um. Gave up seven sacks, four hits, 13 hurries from 50 snaps, 48% pressure rate, the seventh worst single game mark for the Rams in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I'm, um, I like the Falcons in this spot. Offensively, they're very creative. 
with what they did, um, you know, they have a couple backs, Drake London. I will say this. I do think there's value right now. I saw it at 10 to 1. Drake London be the offensive MVP. Let him in yards. Let him in tar- targets. I think, think that would be a good future to kind of lock in right now. Um, I think great Jarrett – sorry, Grady Jarrett is going to eat against this offensive line. Arthur Smith is going to call a good play, good plays. He's going to control the clock. He's going to get the run game going. And I think that Atlanta has so many options and so many playmakers now that they're a real tough team to be able to, to be able to guard. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, there's this guy, Franks, who used to be a quarterback at my, at uh, Florida back in the day. I think he was like, I had him as like the fifth best uh, prospect coming out a couple years ago. They converted him to a tight end. It wouldn't surprise me. We see a little trickery right here with like a tight end throw. Mariota can extend plays. I Anything over 10, I'd be invested in the Falcons. And also we got AJ Terrell on Cooper Cup, one of the best cover guys. I absolutely love that matchup. Uh, I think this could be the game where we look to play Allen Robinson props. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't go get it here, he ain't going to get it this year couple things just uh, from some of last week's stuff. Falcons, Patterson had 22 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. But Damian Williams played on seven of the ten first snaps. He saw more time than Patterson on first down and second downs and third down. But he got hurt in the middle of the first quarter. Did not return, potentially out a couple weeks. London looked good. Five catches, seven targets, 74 yards. Did have a drop. Their offensive line played really well, Atlanta. 37 pass blocking snaps. They allowed pressure only three times. They're lots better of, than people realize. They're lots of play better. action. They, you know, they ran play action 18 of 37 pass plays. Now, this was one thing I didn't like. They were up two. They take an intentional delay of game with a fourth and one on the New Orleans 42. Then they punt one fourth down model, swung the game 15 percentage points on that one play. Yeah. Like I, in that scenario, I'm all about going for, especially when you got a mobile quarterback like Mariota do a little RPO little run past London. Um, I'm a little worried about Kyle Pitts, 36 PFF grade, you know, seven targets, two receptions over 19 yards. Uh, You know, if he, he was being talked about as, um, you know, one of these best tight end prospects ever. And he has not looked the part yet at all. No, no. The, Falcons blew a 16-point lead. They had eight more first downs than the Saints, more total yards, more total plays. They won the time of possession. They also had a 63-yard field goal attempt blocked as time expired. Their defensive line had four sacks more than any game they had in last year. They only had a total of 18 sacks all of last year. And for Mariota, he had some good plays, but he fumbled late in the fourth quarter, third and one from the Saints, 42 with 141 left. If he gets a first down there, the Falcons could have taken a knee and run out the clock. Yeah. Uh, on the Rams side, you mentioned there's weaknesses on the offensive line. You have Ramsey got torched by Diggs. Safford got sacked seven times through three interceptions. They got outscored by 21 in the second half. They allowed 7.1 yards per play. Looks like Van Jefferson should uh, should be playing, and and Henderson is the back that you want. He was basically an every down back, 82% of snaps, 81% of rushing attempts, 78% route participation. Akers only played 18% of snaps and only 13% of the rushing attempts. I tried to tell everybody. You did. Yep, you were on that before uh, before it. And the some the Chargers gave just gave up a 99 picks, 99 yard pick six. 
So 99 yard pick six. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, just, I was watching that right off to the side. That's why I was, they were going in about to take the lead and they threw a pick six all the way. So that's just amazing how the games flip just quickly. I'm just on a dime. So anything else you want to mention on this one? Um, you know, I think Allen Robinson is a good play in DFS. If you're trying to win a million bucks, he's going to be really low owned. I want to see his player props. I think he's worth a punt on the player props just because AJ Corral is going to be covering Cooper Cup. Let's move to Seattle versus San Fran. This number has moved quite a bit now. What are we? Where are we seeing it now? I'm seeing it down at nine, eight and yeah. a half, nine. It's literally like all over the place. Um, I mean, I got to like this. Geno Smith. He's covered his last seven games. Ultra impressive. Um, but, you know, how are the 49ers? Because you got to kind of give the 49ers a pass of what happened. They're the playing, weather, because of the weather. They're, they're basically playing in Lake Michigan. You know what I mean? You got to kind of yeah. give them a little bit of a pass. You expect but more I, from them, but it's hard to just use that as the only piece of, like, a data point in a sample size. But I think the bigger thing that people aren't talking about is with the game on the line, Lance dropped back and he overthrew someone by 10 feet. I think that's the bigger thing that stood out to me. I'll give you a pass for the game, but look, if you're going to as good as everyone says, that's a basic throw you got to make. You're going to like this one. So the 49ers have scored 10 or fewer points. How many times in their last 45 games do you think that they've scored 10 or less? Two. Two. And he started both of them and he started three games total and two of them have been 10 points or less. They're the only two times in the last four years that the team has scored 10 points. I just don't see it with him. Like I've said it for a while. So, I mean, I like this number, I don't want to take right now because I didn't get it a little bit higher, but at over a touchdown, I still need to see it with this team before I think they should be favored by a touchdown or more. They have offensive line issues. Um, Kittle may not play. You know, that helps the offensive line. No Mitchell. They had 12 penalties for 99 yards, five penalties that were automatic first downs last week. Um, 46% passing completion percentage, negative EPA, one of five teams to average under a point per drive in week one. Elijah Mitchell got hurt, and he had been playing on every first and second down. They, and I told you about the Jeff, uh, the Jay Glazer report. Coach Shanahan and GM John Lynch asked 15 of the team leaders to make sure they all have Lance's back throughout the year. So that way yeah. players don't try to like stir up. We want Jimmy G. Pot, yeah. And also something else, um, excuse me to remember uh, this team, like, how can I say that? They just didn't look right. You know no. what I mean? Like, I know they just, there's just something about them. They just didn't look right. I, know. I just, now the, it's Seahawks or nothing, but it's after but the, the spot, Super Bowl, so it's a I, I will say the spot for San Francisco is fantastic. Yeah. You you had a game that you played in a monsoon, so everybody thinks you look worse than you probably do. You're playing a team on a short week. They had their Super Bowl emotional game against Russ on a short week. The spot is incredible for San Fran, but I still – cannot lay this number with this team anything over a touchdown i would still tell tell you to lean seattle yeah yeah i i would be the same way but i think sometimes the best bet is no bet and yeah uh, i agree no this is a this is a no bet for me they they had after a good first half they had four possessions in the second half they had 44 total yards fumble punt punt end of game geno smith was solid 
23 for 28, 195 yards, two touchdowns, no mistakes. Seattle defense made two goal line stands in the second half. And Denver had two total field goals on four trips to the red zone. They scored I mean, six Denver points. did shoot themselves in the foot. They but... did. Jamal Adams' knee injury, something to man, uh, monitor. Rookie running, running back Walker as a full participant in practice. He hopes to play. How about this? Only uh, NFC team, NFC West team to win. First place, right? First place. Let's go. First place, <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention on this one? Seattle, uh, no. um, San it's going to be a good thing to kind of see what San Francisco does. I kind of want to see um, uh, TDP, the third, the guy they drafted in the third round from LSU, worth a DFS punt. I mean, to win the Millionaire Maker, you have to be different. Everyone's going to go for Jeff Wilson. No one's going to go after the kid from LSU. Um, I think you know he's worth a punt, especially if they get up big. They're not going to r- want to run with Debo. They're not going to run or run with Jeff Wilson. You know, they'll have the kid in there. So, uh, you know, I would, uh, if he suits up, I would definitely look to play him. Arizona versus the Raiders. This one is at five and a half right now. And gosh, I just, I feel like this is one that's a, a an overreaction because this line has moved a lot from what it was before the season, right? It's like three points or so. Yeah, different. it's three points. Um, Already. I really want to get the six. Uh, there was a time earlier where it was a six and a half earlier today. Unfortunately, I missed that. Jumped right back to like five and a half, six. Yeah. I missed that opportunity. So uh, because of that, that's just a, a like, a, I'm just waiting. Like, if yeah. this back up to six and a half, I'll play at six, six and a half. That's kind of my buying point. Uh, Greg Dolch, you know, he led the Cardinals in target routes and uh played 91 percent of the snaps um you know uh what are we talking about so this. they these two teams too the cardinals got their asses kicked by the chiefs you have a raiders team that looked a little bit better on the scoreboard than they might have actually in that game against the chargers where their offense was fine their defense is not very good neither of these 29th in DBOA and defense car graded the 31st best quarterback by PV. So that game was a little bit deceiving because it was, it was more dominant by, for the chargers than it may have looked. I think on there's game. a lot of emotion too, for the chargers team. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, like, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to get it back. You want to, you know, there, it never it felt little, like the Raiders were going to win that game. It was not at all. Quote, unquote, revenge. Um, so, and then the Cardinal, so, the Cardinals, and, and the one thing about the Raiders is even when they're bad or even in games where they get crushed, they'll be able to move the ball a little bit. Like yeah. their offense is fine. They have some playmakers. They're just terrible defensively. I think Arizona will be able to move the ball here. I might look to play like an Arizona team total in this game also because I don't know if, how much I trust them. Uh, their center allowed five pressures on 35 pl- pass blocking snaps. They didn't even have 300 total yards with garbage time last week. I mean, they looked so like uninspired. That. Like all the stuff from the off season uh, was bad. Um, but I mean, they only combined for 54 yards rushing. They couldn't run the ball because they were down early. And that same thing sort of happened to the Raiders. They were down, so they couldn't really stick to running. They were down 17-3, but Adams looked really good. 10 catches, 141 yards. He had 17 targets. But, I mean, is that because he looked good because Asante Samuel was there and not J.C. Jackson? Yeah, you know, it did. You know, so I would uh, – we got to remember that. Uh, an interesting trend. 
your boy Cliffy, uh, 13, 3 and 2, 81% against the spread as a road dog. You take okay. the dog out, um, you know, excuse me, you take the home out, you know, 18, 8 and 2, 69% against the spread. And then, you know, something kind of interesting. If you look between weeks one and weeks nine, and you just take out a dog, if you just take out the dog, he is 64% against the spread. So this guy covers as a road dog, covers the first half of the season. If I get six or over, I'll be on the cards here. Um, that's my side. I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not on the Raiders side here. It's just, they're just, the Raiders should not be favored by, by five or six points over anyone right now. No, no way. Not at all. Let's go bang- yeah, there's no way. Let's go Bengals, Cowboys. Uh, both of these teams lost week one and Dallas ends up losing their quarterback. Dak is out. You're saying now four to six weeks. They did not put him on IR. Fractured throwing hand. Uh, Tyler Smith started at left tackle, filling in for Tyrone Smith. He did not play great. Pass protection, he allowed a sack and two quarterback hits and a hurry. Left guard Connor McGovern had to leave the game with an ankle injury. Lamb didn't look very good, but he did have 11 targets. He set a career high in route participation. He led the team with 26% target share, 30% of his looks on play action, and he did get 17 points last year with Cooper Rush in Cooper Rush's only start of 2021. Cooper Rush went 24 of 40 against the Vikings. He won that game. They won 20 to 16. He threw for 327 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Dallas was bad uh, on uh, third down in week one. They were three for 15. And they could be without a starting left guard, safety, and defensive end. So some injury issues for them. Now on the flip side, you have the Bengals who we could – have had probably a 90 minute podcast just talking about that Bengals game from uh from last week. Chase had 10 receptions on 16 targets, 129 yards and a touchdown. Mixon 27 carries, he had seven more receptions, so 82 yards rushing, 63 receiving. Higgins had a concussion, so we'll uh, we'll monitor that if he's going to be able to play or not. He's out. He's, he's not out. Playing. Okay. He's not playing. No. Offensive line they were supposed to be a lot better. They went out and, and you know beefed it up in the offseason. They were really disappointing. Burrow was sacked seven times, two of them in the first quarter. Steelers defenders had 12 quarterback hits. They were really bad in the run game. They but I, mean, again, I think it goes back to the issue with Burrow didn't play. It's going to take him a while to learn the system. Yeah. Um, my bigger issue is I think a guy that's kind of being a little overlooked and everything Zeke Elliott. Um, I think Zeke's going to be able to run the ball against them. He averaged he averaged over five yards a carry against the Bucks. Uh, we can all agree the Bucks front four is better than the Bengals front four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to look to shorten the game. They're going to look to lean on that running. Anything over seven and a half, I'm going to look to play the um, Dallas. Play Dallas here. Me too. I just don't think that. Uh, you know, I just don't. I, I just don't think that it's. Um, Rush didn't the look that. Are getting a little overvalued right now. Well, Rush didn't look that bad last week. I mean, everything that I'm going to say about the Bengals is 1,000 percent true. They should have won that game last week by three scores. Um, but it's disappointing. 
the run game, you know, I was mentioning 31st um, in adjusted line yards, 30, uh, 31st in stuff rate, and a 20% <laughs> success rate, which was 32nd. Pittsburgh just shut them down with a standard front seven. And it made them face the third lowest rate of eight or more defenders in the box week one. They did it without even like putting extra pressure out there. Burrow was bad. Four interceptions, five turnovers, one for five on throws of 20 plus air yards. He took a sack that took him out of field goal range with a minute and 30 left in overtime. Seven sacks allowed. 12 point. Yeah. 12.2 adjusted sack rate, five turnovers and a loss. It actually at one point looked like Chase had the game-winning touchdown with about three minutes left in regulation. He was ruled short of the goal line, but they didn't challenge. He got in. If they would have challenged, he would have been in. It just poor coaching there. 32 first downs for the Bengals, 13 for Pittsburgh. Eight for 16 on third down for the Bengals, four for 15 for Pittsburgh. 94 total plays for the Bengals. Pittsburgh ran 61. 432 total yards to 267. I mean, just unbelievable domination in the box score. Cincinnati was expected to win this game 61% of the time. Four of their first six drives ended in turnovers. This was the worst game Joe Burrow has ever had from an efficiency perspective based on pro football focus. I mean, it's the Super Bowl (laughs) hangover by a young team. You know, what do you expect? You know, I want to... How long does it last, right? I just, I don't want to lay a touchdown on the road with them. No, anything, like I said, anything over seven and a half, I'm taking the Cowboys. I'm right now, this is just kind of a dead zone for me. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm just going to wait because I think there's going to be more Bengals money that comes in. Yep. Let's move. uh, Anything else you want to hit on this one? Bengals, Cowboys? Ezekiel Elliott. You look to play him, pair him with Deontay Swift and your millionaire maker lineups. Let's go Texans Broncos. This game is around 10 right now. Broncos off the uh, Monday night loss, the Texans off the tie, the uh, they played for the tie too. That's you and I were talking a little bit about that. That was a bummer because they came out playing really well. They're up by 17 entering the fourth quarter. Burkhead was the leading rusher and receiving back cooks had seven catches on 12 targets for 82 yards. There's a fourth and three at midfield with 20 seconds left in overtime and they punted. For the tie that just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but they overachieved. Lovey is a good coach. He's just not going to be a great coach. He's not good at clock management. He can't take you to the promised land, but he but can he make, can make a bottom tier team. Average. He can take the bad news bears and make them like an actual yeah. team, you know, um, you know, a couple of things that took out. I tried to warn everybody, um, you know, there's certain red flags in life. If it's saying you're going to share Carries with Rex Burkhead in week one. That's kind of a red flag. Uh, Pierce, 29% of the snaps. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm ice cold on him now. Yeah, I am uh, ice cold on him. Everything I'm hearing there, he's having a hard time picking up pass pro. He's going to be really um, mute, not mute, um, scarce in the field because of that. Javante Williams outsnapped Gordon 58% of the snaps to 41. But Gordon, you know. Outrushed him, you know, five more rushes. Williams averaged six yards per carry in the first half. He only got two carries in the second half. Just so he was averaging six yards a carry in the first half. In the second half, he only got two yards. And 
when I did this thing, my big thing on the Broncos, and I said in everything, I go, look, Nate Hackett has never called plays before. Nate no. Hackett has never been in charge of a game flow. Nate Hackett has never play design. He's never made in-game adjustments. Now you have to do all those things at the same time. Yeah, he is. He's a little over his head. Um, I kind of feel this is a little bit of a good spot. Um, I I think they're going to pound the ball. I think they're going to run the ball a lot. Uh, Texans losing that game, man. I mean, that's just rough. You know, we have, over, we have the over four and a half. We have the money line there. You know, up 17 and lose at home. That's just a brutal look. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, goes back to the trend teams, not covering versus teams that did cover. This is just a lot of points. I, it, I, I'm going to, me too. I'm staying away from this game. I mean, I, I don't like Denver laying that many points. Cause I do think Texans are better. Like They're you better and I, than people realize then people want to give them credit for. I think the Falcons and the Texans are two teams that we're going to end up on a lot this year because we were higher on them just coming in with their staffs and like, we're higher on their floor, right? No. Their ceiling isn't incredible, but their floor is better than people want to give them credit for. So, no. yeah, Denver, you know, they had some weird stuff happen. They did lose safety Simmons uh, on placed on injured reserve. So he's out for at least four games. He's only missed a total of six snaps over the last four years. Yeah. And now great. he's going to be missing these next four games. Think, you know, losing Herbert, not Herbert. Geez, I'm sorry. Herbert's Which, down in the game. That's what I was going to say. He just went down. So I saw the same thing. Shelby, yeah. Shelby Harris. You know, I think that's a big blow to that interior of the line. I just, um, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of issues with Denver. Uh, Me too. Home game, a, though. I think this a is a bad way to start. This, this is a get right spot for them. Yeah. This, this has to be. This is the game they should be able to win. Back to back possessions. They fumble the ball on the one yard line. Yeah, they just I – mean, Denver just shot themselves in the foot. They really did. They really I mean, that, did. That should have been a game they won. Um, you know, I do feel this game is a little high. Yeah. I do be, I feel like the respect that Russ and this team gets is a little bit too much. I agree. There's no way I want to play this with the Texans on the road. So, I mean, no. you know, I'll I'll pass. Maybe I'll use Javante Williams and some DFS lineups, but uh, that would be it. Let's get to Sunday Night Football, the Bears at the Packers. So, the Bears – win in week one in that muck it up game. Um, Herbert actually led the team in rushing yards, despite ha- only having half the carries of Montgomery. He also had both bo- goal line carries and scored the team's only rushing touchdown. Komet, get rid of him. He ran a route on under 70% of the Bears pass plays yeah, and just one target. Was another guy. I told yeah. him not to draft Komet. Not even um, worth it. Komet was drafted here because he's a local kid from Arlington Heights where the new stadium is. Going, uh, he can't separate, can't high point a ball. Uh, Montgomery, sixty-six percent of the snaps to um, to Herbert's twenty-nine percent of the snaps. Montgomery twice as many touches. So I'd kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It for that was my point was that Herbert did this, but it's not as sustainable, right? He looks a little bit better on paper, but Montgomery is is more of the steadying. I think this might be a nice Montgomery week this week too. um, also on top of that, uh, Dil- so it's important to realize like Dylan's the in-between guy. Jones is the outside guy with both tackles gone. You know, we need to read into this and understand that it's not going to be an Aaron Jones game. It's going to so be, a- are they, what do you think? Are they both going to be gone again? Uh, I haven't seen the practice reports. Okay. So Bakhtiari, so for the Packers, Bakhtiari and Jenkins both missed last week. 
and they missed Lazard. So those are three big pieces on their offense that could really help improve the offense when they're back around and strengthen that offensive line yeah. a little bit and help them push the run. So it is sort of tough to really gauge this Packers team because, I mean, they didn't look great last week, but I don't know how many teams are missing Rodgers' best target to starting offensive. That's right. All how many pro, teams with, without two all-pro tackles, you know, two like... all-pro tackles and your number one target are going to look great in the first game of the year. I don't, I don't think many. So again, though, this bears team with fields could be a little bit feistier than people think. Like their win last week was not a good win. We've talked about it. San, it was more of a San Francisco loss. Field yeah. scrambled for three first downs, forced two missed tackles, two big time throws that resulted in passing touchdowns. 21% of the bears rushing attempts um, since 2015, 14 out of 16 quarterbacks that have had 15% or more of design rushes, 14 out of 16 have finished as a top 10 option at the position in fantasy. So, you know, he could have a bad year, but just have that bulk of rushes. And that gives you a floor, right? That's Tebow. That's hurts from that. just a lot of these guys that have a nice rushing. I mean, I'm going to be looking at Lazard, you know, Lazard to score a touchdown. I saw plus 220 in some books. Yep. I think Lucas Lazard, I got to see the reception props, but plus 220 to score a touchdown. I kind of like that one just because Rodgers is going to throw to who he's comfortable with. Um, you know, Rodgers last three seasons, 6-0 ATS against the Bears, 74% ATS against the Bears. He just covers against the Bears. How about this one? 11-0 straight up in ATS in his last 11 games following a loss. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy what he's able to do. Um, you know, we got to... This this game is going to tell a lot, though. You know, yeah. I didn't like how he threw a lot of I didn't like how he um, his body language after, after the rot. Neither. I mean, the rookie wide open first play. That's a drop. That's a terrible way to start with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who like he's he doesn't seem like he's the greatest leader. You know? No. No. So no. that's just a tough way to like. He it feels like kind of like the though, older brother the that might pick on you. You know? If the tackles are there. It's a big Aaron Jones game. Yeah. If not, you're leaning more towards Dylan. Correct. Now, uh, the Bears defense really seemed to be helped by the weather last week. They were dead last in early down percentage to gain a first down. That weather may not be there to help them this week. No. 49ers had drives to the Bears 16 and the, the Bears 2. And in those drives, they got a combined three points. The... But the offensive line played a lot better than projected. They started to roll Justin Fields out a little bit more and protect the line. He only did complete eight passes. He needs to go through his progressions a little bit more. But at least they looked like they weren't trying to get the guy hurt like last year. I mean, they would run some plays that just did not make any sense. When we were looking at the offense they were running, they are at least giving this guy some chances to make a play or two. Yep. Um, I'm staying away, though. I don't yeah, really have that strong stay away. I look at Lazard props, and then I look to see what the tackle situation is and look at running back props. That's the only thing I do here. So we got a Monday doubleheader, so two final games for us to discuss. <laughs> Man, I don't have a whole lot to say about Tennessee. They're a 10-point underdog on the road against Buffalo. Oh, and, I have a lot to say. And, I mean, just it's so weird that coming off of a number one seed last year in one week after a game, they should have won. They're this big of an underdog. 
I understand well, I mean, Buffalo. I really think it's because the Bills both they ranked. look so good. They did, and they're great. Like I think the Buffalo Bills are the best team in football. Yeah. Wow, this still feels like ten in the last couple of years. Tennessee's played Buffalo very well. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm just looking at it right now. Allen 0-2 ATS is a favorite versus the Titans. Vrabel 69% as a dog, 56% as a road dog. Um, this also fits into the thing with teams that didn't cover their next game. I think the Bills are just being a little bit overvalued. And this Vrabel's kind of shown us this is the spot he thrives on. You know, when everyone's down on him, you know, everyone thinks they're done. And historically, he's just shown that he's done this well. I like can I like him here. Um can they just run him. the ball enough, right? Like enough to keep this game close enough to where they can even backdoor cover again, right? They just have to be able to run the ball enough to keep running the ball, right? Like just so that way you're not down three scores or four scores to where uh, now you can't really use Derrick Henry all that much. Yeah. I think they just need to, uh, I think they need to implement uh, Hillard a little bit more in the old, uh, in the old passing game too. Did you, Um, you lock this one in at 10? I'm waiting. I think it's going to drift up. I think we can get 11. I think people are going to keep coming in on the uh, on the bills. Uh, for I our, for our five, I'm okay with 10 for our us talking about it for like a, one of our plays, though, if you are. Yeah, I am. Too. I'm okay with taking this once it hits 10. Yep. Yeah, totally fine with that. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, like Buffalo, they're awesome, but they're one of the like least fun teams to talk about in a game like this because i mean what are you gonna say Allen was awesome he was 24 of 29 three touchdowns two big time throws 10 rushing yards or 10 rushes for 56 yards and a touchdown and I mean, he had some bad ints that'd be the one thing that stood out to me they had some bad turnovers um you know that game could have been a lot worse i mean they had like what four bad turnovers so i don't I don't know. Like, I think this is too much. Anything over 10, I, I think you have to lock in the Titans here. Last three games for Allen, the Bills have scored 38 points a game, 16 touchdowns on 25 drives. And that's not counting the kneel down at the end of uh, one of the last games. He's completed 80% of his passes, 71% on uh, third and fourth down attempts. And he's rushed for more than 55 yards in each game. That was from Football Morning in America. That's just that's like video. Good video game stuff. Von Miller looked good too. I mean, he's got to keep him healthy and have him ready for the big games at the end of the year. He was motivated and he was hungry to play against the Rams. He had two sacks, three hurries from 25 pass rushing snaps. The defensive line, they never blitzed and they sacked Stafford seven times. But I mean, I think that has to do more with your boys. With the Rams. Well, like in the Rams, their offensive line will get better than it was, but they just have had Whitworth as the guy there forever. So it's going to take them like no boom is not horrible. One of the the Rams offensive linemen were really bad. It was a bad hole, but they're, they're just going to take a little, it was a bad matchup. Banged up, didn't practice today. Your center didn't practice today. So That was a bad matchup for them against the bills team that has a defensive front that they went and put some money into in the off season. Um, Titans were up 13 to nothing in that game that they spit out too. I we're on the Titan side. It looks like we both are at, yeah. at this number at double digits. Yeah. Final game, second game on Monday night, Vikings Eagles. This number has danced around quite a bit. So we're it's now it's it went to 3 then all the way down to like 1, right? And now it's sort of setting it to It's been it's been like one and a half, two. It's been all over the place. 
Um, I locked it in. What did I get this bad boy at? I got it in at minus two. Just my thought process is this. Uh, Cousins, 1 p.m. God, anything else he really struggles in. Um, 19% ATS on Monday Night Football. 0-6 ATS is a dog in Monday Night Football. Vikings gave up 111 rushing yards on 16 attempts for 6.2 yards per carry versus a Packer team that didn't have not They're one, two linemen. two linemen. I think I, I think the Eagles are going to be able to run all over this team. I I this is this is one of those teams like the Vikings were kind of that little it team. Oh, that I old. absolutely love this spot, Eric, yeah. for the Eagles. It just everybody's talking about the Vikings. Everybody's buzzy on the Vikings. And people are looking at the Eagles game and the result of that game. And I think people are, maybe they didn't watch it or maybe they didn't realize that. I mean, the Eagles were pretty comfortable throughout that game. Yeah. This is going to be one of our five again, too. I think just AJ Brown looked really good. 155 yards on 10 receptions. You got Bradbury and you got uh, Slay, who's going to be able to cover Justin Jefferson. Who was non-existent after they um after Alexander started guarding him. So yeah, I absolutely love the uh the Eagles here. So Gainwell looks like the clear number two. He yeah. ran five times for 20 yards in the touchdown, was tied for second most targets on the team, and saw more than half of the snaps on typical third downs. It was also playing a little on early downs. Yeah, yeah AJ. He had that one down the uh, down the sideline and then across the middle. He was all over the place. 3.97 yards per route run for A.J. Brown. We had Hertz with 450 yards of total offense, 66 yards after contact, six missed tackles running the ball. The offensive line was good. They helped get four rushing touchdowns. All five created well on pass blocking and only combined for six hurries and just one sack last week. They looked good. I like this spot quite a bit for Philly. Love I think it. people are really high on the Vikings team. That I like the way that they schemed things up last week, but as we're mentioning, it was more about they're playing a Packers team that was missing key players. Even as you hit on when we talked, Jair Alexander was someone that was a little bit disappointed in how they were covering Jefferson. He thought that he should have been able to cover him a little bit and he could have slowed him down. So... I I take more out of that game about maybe them catching a Packers team that was banged up, that wasn't ready, that had a few issues. I don't – I'm not as – you and I are both. We're not as high on Minnesota as everybody else is. I hate Minnesota right now. I'm kind of – Yeah. I'm trying so, to find – to make the playoff futures on them right now. Okay, so let's uh, – let's Minnesota did not make the playoffs is plus 170. Okay, so let's get our five – together eric i know we've got the panthers as uh one panthers at plus two titans titans at plus 10 and eagles at minus two so those are three for sure that we can start with what are other games that it felt like you don't want the saints yeah i want i'd rather stay away from that game i'm Um, okay i'm okay if we have to come back to the jags i would be i could be okay with that one the jags plus four and the lions minus one Absolutely. Let's do those. Or do we? Yes. Yes. Let's do those. Lions minus one Jags plus four. Yep. I like that. So those are a five Panthers plus two Lions minus one Jags plus four Titans plus 10 Eagles minus two for our five, three and two last week. Let's see if we can have a better week this week. And uh, let's see if we can have some winning weeks all year long. 
Eric, my friend, I know you're not feeling all that well, so I appreciate you uh, coming out and uh, using those beautiful pipes of yours. Uh, we will be talking quite a bit over the next few days. You and I are recording this on Thursday night. We'll be talking on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We'll yep. preview the five big five of the biggest college football games for the weekend. We'll also dish out a couple of our best bets. Then on Sunday, we'll be together for the Better Than Vegas big football preview for Sunday, 4th and Inches. You, me, and Kyle, the DFS Bachelor. We go through every single Sunday game, and we'll talk all about DFS stuff. We'll have prices there. We'll be able to have more injury information. We'll know what the final numbers are. So lots of conversations every week with you and me during football season. Tell everybody else uh, what you have coming up this week. Uh, podcast. Hopefully we'll come out tomorrow if I can talk. Uh, <laughs> Friday night, um, I'm going to be with you and Jim Friday night. Kyle and I are going to do a UFC preview Friday night. And Jim and I are going to preview some co- some uh, college football. Uh, we have, Jim and I have been going live the morning of and just answering. Doing spaces, right? Yeah. We've been doing uh, just answering people's questions on lines and what we think and injuries and everything. So uh, we do that at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Eastern, excuse me. Eric, buddy, thank you so much, man. It's so much uh, fun talking football with you and and going through each game, breaking them all down, picking your brain. Let's see if we can do well on these five this week. Um, Anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? Uh, Let's make some money, man. Let's, Let's keep the ball rolling, dude. Let's do it. Week two coming up. Uh, we're watching this Thursday night football game that's going down to the wire within right now. Chargers are within the number. Yeah, though. Chargers are covering right now. So, and the uh, the Chiefs don't have any motivation to try to score right here. So, I'm if you play the Chargers, you're probably going to be covering. It looks like unless we go to overtime right now. So, 27-24. It's always fun looking at these. But for me, I think you're. I'm like you. I like watching the game afterwards, anyways. So I don't really have a problem missing games live because I'm going to go back and do my work and rewatch the game, rewatch the plays and, and, and have take all my notes and stuff anyway. So um, yeah, that's, that's the way you have to do it. Like I'll, I'll red zone it and then I'll rewatch it. Yep. Like I didn't even watch the Monday night game. Yeah. yeah. Most of them. I don't, I'm I, not I watching even watch that live. So. Yeah. Like I'm doing work. I'm recording sometimes. Yeah. I've got other stuff going on. I, I much prefer being able to watch them sort of late <laughs> at night on, on yep. game pass and uh, taking the commercials and all that out. Eric buddy, the marathon uh, has just started of the NFL season. Thank you again for all your help and and uh, hope you feel a little bit better tomorrow. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Don't go anywhere, folks. Uh, a lot more to come on That's What G Said podcast. And if you're watching on social media, thanks so much. We're going to post these football segments every week. That way you can see us kind of go through the lines and stuff um, and uh, look at all the numbers. So good luck at everything this weekend and lots more to come on That's What G Said. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile you can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. 
tap the calendar icon on the top left, it opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Friday games, LoSal, Gulfstream, Penn National, Golden Gate, and Pimlico for Stable Duel. Remember, every Friday we have our morning live stream, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. We actually will not have an episode this week on September the 16th, but we'll be here every other week for tons of analysis, Stable Duel best bets, and then all of the key information for the contest all weekend long. Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears join me each and every week. Get those entries in and play race win. Let's talk some some racing. Let's head on over to Woodbine. Let's talk about Friday Woodbine. We'll look at the early pick five, which starts in race number two. And I'm looking at number uh, race number two in here. Five furlongs on the turf. I like the seven a little bit. Ride the wind. This mare was fourth. She was inside. She was about five lengths off. And she moved up into contention, but the winner, Silent Ghost, won wire to wire. That was on the synthetic. Now she returns to the turf where she's been even overall a little bit better with her form. It's a good spot for Ride the Wind, cutting back, sitting off the pace a little bit. I went 7, 4, 5, and 2. The two remembering Rhonda. It's a nice winner at 5 furlongs on August the 6th. 2, 4, 5, 7. In race number... Three, five and a half furlongs on the synthetic, 7,500 non winners of two. I thought the three is like the only horse who can really pass. Tons of speed lined up in here. 
She's the only one that's proven she can come from off the pace. I'll use her along with the five baby Mo, and I'll try to beat both the one and the two who are drawn down towards the inside and seem like they're going to be all battling it out. Three, five. Moving to the fourth. I'll use five, six, and ten in here in the pick five. I like the ten the most combative who has some sneaky overall turf form. Eight to one on the morning line. Anything around five will make a win wager there. Fifth race, let's use the three and the six. Hear me knocking was traveling well inside and just flattened out against better. Now the blinkers come off. More gelato. Anything close to what she put forth last time out would put her right on the wire in here. This is not a strong group. I'll use the three and the six. To close it out, sixth race, six furlongs on the turf. I like the number seven in here. Super rush. The blinkers come on. August the 12th, this guy was on the turf. Uh, his last two races have been tough trips. He got bumped on both sides. Then he got crossed over on. He took up. Then he stumbled. He got squeezed back. And in his most recent start, he broke on top, but he sat three wide. And then he was in the four path chasing a lone speed winner. He's better than those last two races would suggest. The four, Rockstar Row, is the horse to beat. I'll use four and seven there. So we'll play a pick five that starts in race number two. Two, four, five, and seven with three and five, with five, six, and ten, with three and six, with four and seven. It's $19.20 for your 20 cent based wager. The horses who I would really recommend using in the second race, the seven, ride the wind. Anything over seven to two, I'll play to win. Third race, the three, Midnight Meadow. Six to one on the morning line. Anything around four, I'll play to win. Fourth race, Combative. Eight to one on the morning line. Anything around five, we'll play that one. And in the sixth, the number seven, Super Rush. Anything around seven to two, we'll play that one. So that's Friday, Woodbine for the Thoroughbreds. Let's talk a little harness racing. Don't talk much harness racing here, but I I uh, cover Mohawk at least once a week now for some of these preview shows I've been doing with Better Than Vegas. So since I've already handicapped these, I figured, why not talk about them here? Let's talk about Woodbine Mohawk early pick five for Friday night. Now they have a 20-cent based wager, and they have a $100,000 guaranteed pick five pool to kick off the cart. In the opener, just the six Rose Run Eccentric and the eight Resolving, who's been really, really sharp. Uh, Rose Run Eccentric getting some class relief there. Six, eight for me. In the second race, the one come roll with me did not have a smooth trip last time out. The four got the gold. Feels like the horse to beat in here. The five, Frantasy Hanover, is a long shot that's capable on times of fitting with this group. Gets a better post. Has the ability to work out a trip at a price. I'll use one, four, and five. In the third race, Philly and Mare, five-year-old and younger Pacers, non-winners of one. I'm going to use the inside horses, one, two, three, and four. The one powder play, last out winner, Indra also was a victor last time out. Favorite Beach came closing in 26 and four on September the 6th for the final quarter. And Arizona went off stride last time and just never got involved. But Arizona probably has some of the, the higher upside in the field. So we'll use one, two, three, and four. And then we'll single, or excuse me, I'll go two deep in race number four. With the one and four snow shark and got sexy scars, they uh, they dead heated on September the 9th. I thought got sexy scars actually had to go first up, and I wouldn't be shocked if he got aggressive in here. On paper, she got aggressive. On paper, there isn't that much other early pace. Close it out. We use the two going fast. 
who just is really sharp right now with a win a couple seconds and a third in the last five. I think the nine forefather might be able to get away in there if they get aggressive and try to leave early. So we'll play a pick five. That's $19.20 for your 20 cent base wager. Six eight with one four five with one two three four with one four with two nine. That is Friday racing for you. Woodbine thoroughbreds and then up at Mohawk for the standard breads. Big day at Woodbine on Saturday with the Grade 1 Woodbine Mile. You have three Grade 1 races there and a really nice late pick five with $250,000 guaranteed in the pick five pool. Let's talk about Woodbine for Saturday. Let's start in the seventh race, which kicks off that pick five. It's the Grade 1 Summer, the Pattison Summer for two-year-olds. I like the six in here, Philip, my dear, who weaved through traffic and got up. He was super impressive. And he is two for two and does not look like distance should be any problem for him. The one mysterious night is no doubt the class. He was taken back to fifth in his race over at Deauville. He was fifth of five, but he was in the third flight, not far out of it. Two path, tipped to the outside early, moved to the lead, well measured, always looked like a winner. The 294 Expos might not have to deal with as much early pace in here. Because this race is going longer, and a lot of the foes that he had to battle with early on August 20th aren't in this race. He could get out front. The 5 Sammy Stone is also an interesting price play. He's a maiden, but he did come closing late. It's first time long, and the turf. I think he'll improve here. 6-1-2-5 in the 7th. In race number 8, I'm going to single on my pick 5. I'm going to single a horse who I've been a big fan of for a while. That's super sensational, the number 5. She's going to go third start off the bench. She's proven at Woodbine. She's classy. And she might actually be the early speed in this race. I don't know if there's anyone in here that's quicker because she's coming out of some sprint races. I'm giving Super Sensational the nod. I'm singling her in the pick five. A lot of money will come through for Lady Spitespear. She's in nice form. But I'm going to lean towards Super Sensational. In race number nine, the obvious horses in here are the, to me... The two imports with Modern Games and Finest Sound. Modern Games will be a heavy favorite. Modern Games, remember he won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, but they scratched him and you couldn't bet on him. Remember the whole that weird thing that happened at the Breeders' Cup this year? Well, since then, he came right back to win a Group 1 earlier in the year. Uh, he was just a runner-up behind a horse named Baid, who is who just was the number one ranked horse in the world, and now Flightline is number one and Baid is two. He's 10 for 10. Modern Games is hands down the horse to beat in here. Finest Sound comes out of a race behind Jadumi, who won a Group 2 next out and has won three in a row. And Finest Sound went to the lead with Jadumi just behind. He opened up a length, but Jadumi wore him down late. It was a good effort from Finest Sound. I'll use four and five everywhere. And then of the the American horses or of the... You know, the horses that have been based in North America, you have both Ivar and Wakanaka who have recently been running in North America. Ivar is a grade one winner, was third in the Breeders' Cup. He has a race in July, which was a win. It could set him up pretty well for this. He just doesn't race a whole lot. He needs a lot of time in between. Wakanaka feels like he she might be a cut below, but she is a group two winner. A grade 2 winner recently And she has faced some very very nice fillies and mares So I could see her being You know the the fun exotic horse to play I ended up stacking them 4, 5, 
4-5-3-2, depending on how you're looking at playing this race. The Natalma is the 10th race. Cairo Consort's going to be very tough in there. He had a good start, but it, uh, she did, but it was a crowded start, so she backed up to 7th. She was three off behind horses. She was inside traveling well, and she got a nice opening and made a big move. She's versatile. She can save ground inside. That the two collecting flatter may not have as much pace to deal with early in here. Another one who's stretching out could be fun on the front end. G. Lori was really impressive winning at Colonial. She might be any kind. I'll use one, two, and three in the Natalma. The 11th race is a very wide open mile in the 16th turf race to close out the pick five. The horses I'm going to look to use in here, the five Lido Key, who's very consistent, the six Guileful, who's better than the turf form may look, Big Ban Luzian, uh, probably on the tickets for me, and then Spitestown Churl, so it'll, it'll likely be five, six, seven, eight, closing that pick five out. Good luck over at Woodbine. Couple of grade ones. And a big one, the Woodbine Mile. Now we will uh, shift on over, but we'll continue talking about Saturday racing. We'll head to Louisiana for Saturday, September the 17th. Just two more weeks remain of Louisiana racing. Come on out and get involved. Really good action right now. Turf and dirt racing, 17% takeout, low takeout and win place show, 15% in the pick four and pick five. Let's go to race one for Saturday. I like the three Mongolian diamond. That's the one to catch. Flash some sprint speed. Now the stretch out. The five Miss Mowwow is the horse to beat. The two Brady Cash hits a career low on the drop. I'm three five two. In the second race, looking at the seven in here as a a player hug the money because he can sit a little bit. His last few races versus restricted claimers on the turf were good, and they were against better. Hug the money on top of the two Nate's way Whose turf race on July 19th was really good And then he tried tougher last time out That was just too tough, 15 claimers The five horse, two dot Better now than in his prior turf races But he, he was a little below to me The other few in here And Abdon in the mix I went 7-2-5-1 In race number three The number five Zong Tough is a bit interesting He faced Open 5 non-three claimers Open breads last time out And he was behind Paint Your Wagon Who went wire to wire African Warrior who was second in that race Won two of the next three Or has won two of the last three Oscar Choice is the horse to beat The seven, the thimble Would be no shock in here As would Doctrinaire I went 5-3 over 7-1 Fourth race kicks off the pick four. We begin with two-year-old maidens going seven and a half furlongs on the turf. I like the six in here, Henny's turn. The dam was five for nine on the turf, was a three-time stakes winner, won a stakes at Louisiana, and then won at seven and a half at Lone Star. Henny's turn has proven speed and has two winning turf siblings. There are no monsters in this group. I like the six. I'm going to single in the pick four using the nine and the four underneath. Race number five, the two royal bonus drew the rail, so had to really shove from the inside last time out and battled with three others, then got crossed over on, got shuffled back to fourth, back inside, and then came on again, but was in really tight. I thought it was a a pretty good effort. The four, 
Stacy's racy, cuts back and gets back to the dirt. And then you have the seven, she's a hunk, who's no doubt the horse to beat. The one to catch, too. Race number six, mile and a sixteenth on the turf for Louisiana bred, non-winners of two. The number six horse could get a really nice trip off the pace in here, Amavi, exiting some pretty tough races, and the blinkers come on, and there is a good amount of speed here. It could set up very well for It's Wild again, who has a much better than looks race on paper. Slow start, buried inside, shifted out, never really able to find the never really able to find some room, kind of sneaky traffic. The one peanut and Ike should be aggressive from the inside, as should the two Mr. Tin Man, who had to battle with Monarch's mischief last time out, and now has to deal with a couple others. Six three one two. Closing it out at Louisiana in race number 7 With the number 9 in here Aspirational Drew the rail, was right up behind the leaders But had no room Had to back up and then just could not come on again It was better than looks Moves inside to the outside and drops in class The 7, Addy Bug Has proven speed The 2, one call, that's all Had a good debut Maybe she just didn't like the turf The 8 horse, damn, was a 10 time winner and won the debut. Joe Foster is very capable with first timers. I'm gonna play a pick four at Louisiana that starts in race four. Single to six with the one two four seven, with the one two three six, with the two seven eight nine for thirty two bucks on a fifty cent pick four. That's Louisiana Downs for Saturday. Let's head on over to Belmont. A couple stakes races. I gotta say I couldn't. Really, I didn't really find a strong opinion I just wanted to mention these stakes races here So because of the renovations This is the Belmont at the Big A meet A couple stakes races that I wanted to mention For Saturday In the 7th race, it's the Jockey Club Oaks Invitational McCulloch will be pretty tough in there But beside herself might be able to steal this race on the front end There is not much speed in here I hope Pratt just sends hard from the outside I'm looking at beside herself as a pace player in here and a pace factor. I've always been a fan of nostalgic. I'm sure she'll show up and, and run a big one a day when I don't have her. In the 10th race, it's the Jockey Club Derby. Classic Causeway could be Lone Speed in there. Another race where there might be a major, major pace advantage. Nation's Pride was the winner of the Saratoga Derby. He's the horse to beat. The Grey Wizard actually faced Older last time out. I just don't know if if he's quite up to this. If you're looking for a horse to bet, it's probably the Six, who's really consistent. Comes in from Germany and has good races in Germany, Italy, and France. Has run well everywhere. Those are a couple graded stakes races this weekend over at Belmont at the Big A. Churchill Downs has an all-stakes pick five to close out their card, but... I, another situation where I couldn't really find Very many prices along the way The 7th race at Churchill on Saturday Is the Open Mind It's Sconson and Bell's the one <clears throat> They faced each other 6 times They're tied 3-3 in who's out Finished the other And it's hard to get around them because The horses who seem like they have tactical advantages Just aren't quite as good Sconson and Bell's the one In the Open Mind in the 8th race, it's the Locust Grove. I thought the one maybe is a wild card who can save some ground and come running. Because with Nvui Taunt, Little Tootsie, played hard, there might be a decent amount of speed in there. 
So it could set up well for Crazy Beautiful, who's the horse to beat. Little Tootsie, with some of that versatility. Four-year-old filly on the improve, proven at Churchill. I'll use one, three, and four if you're playing some exotics there in the Locust Grove. The ninth race is the Iroquois. Mile and a sixteenth for two-year-olds. Damon's Mound is two for two. He won the grade two Saratoga special. He won his debut here at Churchill by 12-plus. Echo again. Earned a 94 buyer speed figure in winning his debut. Those two will take all the money. Curly Jack has shown a little progression, the number five. I would lean that way if you're looking to, to bet this race. He got bumped at the start at Ellis Park in the juvenile, and then he backed up to stay out of a duel. He was fifth at about four lengths off. He was outside. He made a big three-wide move to take the lead. He opened up, but he hung a little bit. It was still very nice. He was 14-plus lengths clear of the third-place finisher, so it was a winning-type effort. Curly Jack would be my lean if you uh, try want to try to beat the favorites in that race. The 10th race, it's the Louisville Thoroughbred Society. And again, the five miles ahead would be the horse I would play if you're looking for a bet. Necker Island and Isolate are obvious top contenders. I'd use five, four, and six. The Pocahontas, you can maybe spread out a little bit. The problem is that a bunch of these horses are all going to be about five to one. So if you're playing the 11th race, I would say watch the tote board. Because 3, 5, 10, 11, 12 all fit. I actually like the 12 the most friendly persuasion who won at Indy and is drawn to the outside. The 5, Grand Love was super impressive. Naughty Gal is proven. That's a grade 3 winner. But someone is going to be forgotten about and there's going to be one of these horses that's a better price on paper. That would That would be the way that I approach that Final race at Churchill on Saturday Good luck on Saturday Over at Churchill Let's head to Sunday Give you some plays for Louisiana Downs For Sunday Let's Let's look at September the 18th Let's look at race number one I like the four takeover time Lozada jumps aboard This filly had a good start But she was behind the leaders And she was she took back, she sat third, she got caught behind with nowhere to go, shuffled around, uh, shuffled and then angled around. It is better than it looks on paper for the four takeover time. I'll use along with the seven, Cozy Tap, and the two, Sister Seek, 472, to kick off the Sunday Louisiana card. In the second race, I like the seven, Hilaire. Just looks like there's going to be a good setup for Hilaire in there. The one, Willie the Man, will flash speed. The two, Pitch and Run, had a really wide trip and then was in between. He's a little better than that. He's due for a maiden breaker soon. In the third race, I'm going to use 4-7 on a top tier. Puzzling Priority comes out of uh, some strong races and gets her last couple races on the turf were behind Drop Dead Sexy and Wild Mallory, who's a 14-time winner and has won five and had won five in a row. The seven first slate cuts back and should sit a perfect trip. The five Lake Marie, very quick. Three exacta, two rue la la has a uh, dam that won seven times. An airborne gal is quick. I mean, this is a fun race, but I have four seven on kind of the top tier. In the fourth race, $7,500 beaten claimers. The two land of the pharaohs fits the conditions of this race very nicely. Now goes first off the claim for Sarah Delaney. The eight horse is a player in here. That's CS Goya. That's the one to beat. The number six. 
Caprock Minor is very fast And the 5 Fredonian Doesn't win a whole lot but has been facing better And was a 23 length winner Two starts back Fifth race, 5 furlongs on the turf First level allowance company I'm looking for horses that can sit off the pace a little bit Like the 5 Slither Who could have a ton of pace to chase The 8 No Pedigree Had a brutal trip last time out Missed the break Then went up, dueled and just was not a not a not an easy trip. Got shuffled back from the inside after rushing up. The one my pal Maddie fits really well here, but the inside draw concerns me. The two Wilton could get a nice trip coming from off the pace and at least picking up some underneath uh, pieces. Let's move to race number six at Louisiana. The number seven horse, top selection, Creative Letters. The outside draw could really help him sit. It's all about Greg Tracy in this race With 7 and then 2 post-close The 6, D2 Very sharp for trainer Shane Wilson But will need to turn the tables on Creative Letters Who got the better of him a couple times in June and July But then D2 outfinished him in August Finishing up in race number 7 7th and final Mile and a 16th on the turf course here Mad Adam comes off of a good effort and that was the first turf try for Mad Adam. So the ability for improvement likely. Uh, look to the 10 towards the outside. Golden quality as the one to beat in here. The three, Plutonium. I played last time out. Uh, Plutonium, uh, we'll, this is an easier spot. Again, will be a major, major player. So 7-10-3 in race number seven on Sunday at Louisiana Downs. Good luck Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend with the races. We're going to start talking some wrestling in just a moment, but before we do, we have to remind you about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. If you head to her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, you can find out all of her listings. You can find out some of the former projects and testimonials and Reviews from folks that she's worked with uh, You can find those on Yelp and Zillow Also, she can help you with buying With selling, with leasing Anything you need in the world of real estate Get in contact with Cindy Carava At cindycarava.com We finish up this episode with This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper We talk WWE, Raw, Smackdown, NXT And then we dive into AEW Everything going on in the world of wrestling, TV show recaps, all the news and major storylines with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Very, very special edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. He is <laughs> four on the podcasting, uh, wrestling, uh, PWI list. So, Chad <laughs> Cooper, you made the top 500. You're number four. Uh, we'll get to the top three in, in a little bit. I think it's, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, real, real common that you just can't get above them. But everyone's talking about this PWI 500. It's funny when these things come out. How you doing this week, buddy? I'm good, you know, I was hoping for top three But I'll, I'll take top four Maybe next year, 
next year. You're moving the ranks. Last year, you were like 22. Yeah. So made a pretty yeah, big had, jump this year. I had a couple of injuries and a couple of, uh, uh, you know, uh, ugly moments um, that people jumped on me um, uh, during the year. So, you know, it's it's some, it's a goal. It's locker room content. <laughs> you know, put it up on my refrigerator and, uh, and set our goals for top three next year. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll get into everything going on in the world of WWE with SmackDown, with Raw, with NXT, and then with AEW. We'll uh, jump into Dynamite and what's happening there. But we had to joke about the PWI 500 list that comes out every year that ranks the top 500 wrestlers. And everyone kind of talks about it, debates. Some of the wrestlers are very proud of it. Others think it's a total joke and don't have any credence in it whatsoever. But this year, I guess when you just look at the top 10, Number 10 was Jonathan Gresham. Number 9 was Big E. Number 8 was EO Del Vikingo from AAA. Then you had Brian Danielson, 7, Cody Rhodes, 6, Bobby Lashley, 5, Hangman Adam Page, 4, CM Punk was 3, Okada was 2, and Roman was 1. I I've, one- got, I've got tons of arguments right there. Why? Yeah. I, I don't think Adam Page has had a fantastic year. I mean, well, I mean this, this is this is a yearly deal. I mean, Cody Rhodes, I, I know the injury. That's top two or three from what he did in a short amount of time, switching brands. You got to think that no Moxley either. Who's been pretty. Yeah. I mean, like, he's look, been, I'm not the biggest. Yeah. You know, I don't, he's not my personal favorite. No, but he's if talking not, about but, what someone's done in the last year. But Jericho. Right? Yeah. Like, Jericho's been there the whole time. Jericho hasn't been hurt. He's been there every week. He's been in huge feuds. So MJF, I mean, I would have put MJF, Jericho, and Moxley as my three AEW guys because Punk's been hurt for six months. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred. So it's always. And I know why they do this. You know, it's really look. It's for this reason right here to get Uh, people talking on the podcast about it. (laughs) It drives up probably their digital sales. I don't know if that magazine's still in print anymore. Hey, it was my lone source of wrestling information back when I was a kid. There, there were a couple of other. Uh, wrestling magazines, but the one you wanted to get every month was PWI, and one yep. of the biggest reasons why you turned it in the back and looked at all the territory rankings and stuff like that. But is there 500 wrestlers uh, in the United, you know, around that you rank? You know, if you're in the 400s, I mean, how? Oh, yeah, I mean, what, say, is this well, the once top you get to like 600, I 150, mean, <laughs> doesn't it become sort of like arbitrary after like 100? You know. Uh, at that yeah, point, because, because that, look, at the end of the day, Gino, you and I are alter- alternates for the U.S. men's basketball team for the, true. You know, the Olympics or the, you it's know, we're, we're, we're just a couple thousand away. But, you know, I, I just take it with a grain of salt. I, I mean, sure, it, it's I, I don't think the magazine holds the water that it once used to, but it creates buzz. I just think it's kind of silly once you get into three and four hundreds and people are saying, oh, thank you. I'm number 498. Uh, who's I, Mr. Irrelevant? Who was 500? Because I didn't I, even look at that. <laughs> I, I just saw one dude take a picture with his three. He, he was number 311 and he had <laughs> balloons. He had balloons in the background, like a huge thing. And he was, but he was obviously playing with it, right? He was like, sure, sure. people act like this is no big deal. But to me, this is everything in the world. And he had these big gold balloons that you would have on like graduation. And it's like three, 
<laughs> so I mean, is this something you could put on your resume? Do you get booked more because hey, I'm I don't know. Sixty three. <laughs> yeah, you know, next year I'm twenty twenty one number four hundred and twelve. As uh, oh, we dive into this week in WWE, so just really good energy and good buzz. SmackDown got an awesome rating last yeah. week, coming off of the Clash at the Castle pay per view, and just coming off of like really. Good continued storylines It was also Braun Strowman who was going to be Making a Smackdown debut And we kicked off the show With an awesome Six man tag match The Brawling Brutes, Sheamus uh, Pete Dunn And Ridge Holland versus Imperium Now a couple things God I was definitely wrong on Ridge Holland I just thought there was so much more of him He's just kind of a guy He has a, a good wrestler look Like he fits in this group he just doesn't stand out as someone, you know, that that feels like a larger than life guy. He's a little sloppy in the ring. But what are we gonna do with Sheamus right now, man? He's so over after that match. Everybody wants to cheer for Sheamus right now. It's sort of like this lifetime achievement award kind of thing, you know, where people sort of like, oh yeah, Sheamus is damn good. We respect him. Let's all start cheering for Sheamus right now. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I thought um, the, the, number one, the match. I, I'm with. I'm with you. The match is fantastic. Uh, the crowd is over for the guy. Um, he and Imperium is awesome together again, especially yeah. just after having seen uh, Vinci have a couple singles matches on his own. He just yeah. feels like he's a bigger deal than he was before when he was just sort of like one of Gunther's henchmen. Yeah, and I think it, not that he needed any help, but I think it it, it helps Guther, and I think it helps Imperium. I I, I did think Sheamus probably should have went over one of the Imperiums here. At this I agree, point. I agree. I, I thought that was the only thing wrong with this. You want to keep this momentum going for him yeah. because, like we say, you can't some you can't create this sometimes. You no. try to create, you try to create what is happening for Sheamus right now, and it doesn't work. People, it people feel like you're forcing it. They it. have to catch look, it naturally. And you know, with this new, I, I'm not saying new direction, but it definitely feels like a, a new direction. It's definitely under new command with Triple H. And they're buddies. You know that they know this as well. And that was his much, first feud with Sheamus was with Triple H. That that that's a very good point. A very good point. So my question is, how much longer, not deny it, but how much longer can you Withhold him back before you automatically put him in a title picture. You know, and, and this guy deserves it, man. And what's nice is that he he has that little storyline built in where he wants the IC title because it's the last title he hasn't won it. Yeah. Right. So so for him, right? Maybe you're thinking, ah, I don't know if Sheamus is the guy to beat Roman Reigns and take that major title. And sure. Gunther is hot and he's over right now. But two, I think, I don't know if you necessarily want to beat him, but what's nice is you don't need Sheamus to have this necessarily have a run with a main title. He has this, I want the IC title story already. So that's something that you can build in and make that chase seem really big for Sheamus. I I love what's happened with him. He looked, uh, he looked great. This was a really fun opener to kick off SmackDown. We had, oh man. Sammy and the Usos out there, dude. Sammy, right now, he is. <laughs> he tweeted. Of course, we'll get to it. You know, he tweeted uh, Tuesday night. He quoted NXT and said, "That's how we do it." You know, Solo winning the, the North <laughs> Ring. 
here in the, bed, the bloodline. <laughs> He's so great. He, he comes up and he holds up the ones. He says, everybody throw up your ones. And he's, and I love the dynamic is incredible how you have Jimmy who like loves it. Jimmy thinks it's funny and he's laughing. And then Jay hates Sammy. Yes. Yes. It's so good. Good call. It's so good. So Sammy will look to like Jimmy and he'll like high five him and fist bump him. And then he'll look to Jay and Jay is just dogging him. Jay is just dirt, dirt facing him, just gr- and and he, Sammy will say things like, you know, when uh, when we used to be little ooses, or you know, like back, <laughs> you know, like with the day one ish ooses, uh, just <laughs> some good, good uh, stuff here. And, and I like that they didn't really force KO back. No, to not yet. You know, not, not yet. yet just, he's got some good stuff going on Raw, so it's there. But I like how they kind of pulled it back a little bit and go, mm-hmm. okay, let's not, you know, let's not blow, you know, burst our, you know, the the big bubble just yet. So I thought it was good keeping Ko out of this. And this was the way they introduced Solo Sokoa, who came out and, um, you know, Solo Sokoa looks badass and he obviously just fits right in beautifully with them. He is their younger brother, and he actually is in the main event against Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre comes out. Calls him out, he says he wants a match Against him, and We get them in the main event Now, one of I understand why, I guess I want to Mention it as at least a critique that We have had a few matches Long matches over the last Couple weeks on on TV That ended in DQs Yeah, Which I don't love When they happen repeatedly I completely understand why They happen in storyline This one happens because you don't want to beat Drew. He just got beat. You don't obviously don't want to beat Solo. He just came up. So you do this, and it makes sense. But what do you think about Solo Sokoa's first night, where he's in the main event with Drew McIntyre? It's just amazing what these the bloodline literally these uh, uh, these ooses. Um, what great athletes these these guys are. It's just phenomenal. Um, and we saw it with NXT when he was down there, you know, when he first debuted, it was just, a. you talk about guys that, that need to be shot up the ladder. I mean, it just showed that he belongs on the main roster and it's come full circle because now he's a champion. I would like to see him take that title to SmackDown. Maybe he does this, this Friday. I'm I'm not sure, but, um, I, I, I'm with you. I don't like the, the, the constant DQs and main events. 20 minute match and then end with the DQ. Yeah, because you know, but instead of being a cheap way out where the Usos jump in and do something, you you have Karrion Cross and Scarlet there. I agree. So so it helped ease the DQ pain a little bit. Yep, it, I agree. So I, I think they got away from it here. It was the best possible way to do it. Yeah, if you're going to do with it with a chair or outside interference with Roman or the Usos, I, I would have been disgusted with it because I I hate that. I hate that protection. Uh, for some of these people, but now that you have, you know, carrying cross involved in this, I thought if you're going to DQ, let him get involved in this match. And Hey, look, we haven't seen carrying cross in the ring. And I think this is a fantastic way to bring him back because our last image of him is three different weeks and three different characters and him just, just getting squashed and made him fun of like the Farouk gladiator yeah, thing yeah. that he was wearing. Yeah. So I, I think him and, and Scarlett, um, doing this week in and week out with Drew, and we finally get up to that match, which is probably at Extreme Rules, uh, the next pay per view in October. 
Um, I, I think it'll be forgotten, the flubs. I, I think this is a great way to do it. So uh, it's a hell of a match, uh, you know, kind of a, a little wonky ending, but with Cross and Scarlett involved and seeing them two stand tall as, as we go off of SmackDown, I was okay with that. And just think about, like, the women here. You go from Scarlett as a part of the Karrion Cross Act, and then we have the women's tag team champions, which I thought was really weird that they had them beat Toxic Attraction. And Toxic Attraction is not even... I mean, they're back on NXT. They yeah, they're said not they're, like fully up on the main roster. No, and, and, and we'll get to this because it happened on Raw, right? We had a title change, and so I, I just I, we said I, it, I don't like what they've done with the t- with the women's titles right now. I just don't. I don't. They, they they dropped the ball with them again, and this is like the fourth or fifth time in a row. Why didn't you let just EO and Dakota win the damn tournament and win the titles to begin with? What did this you know? two week do, reign do for Aaliyah or for Raquel? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. And, and, and I even said it last week. You know, Aliyah's not the greatest wrestler in the world. She doesn't have to be. But I told you last week, okay, I'm kind of I'm buying them as champions right now. Then they go on and beat Toxic Attraction. And then hell, three days later, I, I just had a feeling they were they those that those titles were changing hands. So maybe this is a clean slate. I don't know, but it was. It just made no sense for no, them you, to go over Toxic Attraction. I understand why they did to give them a win, but a couple, you know, 48, 72 hours later, they're losing the titles. I, I just, I didn't like that. I didn't like either. that you, at all. You bring them in for this nothing match. You bring them up. You, you have, made them look like jobbers. You did, you and know? then you have the damage control group who's been looked really, who's looked really good. You've booked them really well. You have them win the six woman tag match. Why do they lose that random nothing match? To Aaliyah and Raquel. I just don't. Yeah, that was they, a flob. I, I thought yeah, that was the first I agree. screw up in the Triple H era. Um, it, it but, didn't but, 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 I, but what's funny, again, think about you have these four women who don't even really feel like they're towards the top of the division. But that shows you how deep the women's division is overall. It, and I think the, the belts are on the rightful tag team. And I think with Bailey, I think maybe we will see this finally start in a new direction. I know there's been a lot of buzz. Sasha's coming back. Naomi's coming back. They're going to win their titles or whatever it is. Maybe they do, but we can't procrastinate about it and say, no. what if? What if they don't come back for the next six months? What if they're held out into the Rumble? Which, that that's what I would do. I would hold them out into the Rumble. I don't think they're needed right now. But I, I, I just... I, it goes to the right. It goes to the right people. Now you have to worry about. Well, you know, Aaliyah is probably going to go back down to the ladder. You know, to to the bottom of the ladder. She's not going to be a serious contender. Raquel, I think they've got some things they can do with her. I think she can automatically go up and contend yep. for uh, the the women's title on SmackDown. So, yep. Um, I, I just didn't like the way we got here. If if Ronda wins. She's a built-in contender for Ronda because they've already had you that. Think, little... I, and we're going to get there, and I'm all over the place. And we saw the well, number. No, and that, that's right next. Let's Ronda... talk about that match. Let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, R- Ronda goes to, you know, Adam Pierce talks with Ronda or talks about what happened last week, and Ronda's suspension was lifted. So we have a fatal five-way elimination match with Zia Lee, Sonya Deville, Natty, Lacey, and Ronda. The match was whatever, and. You could just read the names and know that Ronda was going to win, right? There was nobody that's in her level here. So this is a way to make Ronda just look impressive. I thought she looked really good with the gi, the pink, uh, the and the the pink um, 
ga- um, Jack gown that she had on, and she looks solid. And you have Liv up, kind of acting like a heel, you know, in the in the seats of their partying, drinking, and watching what's going on. But Rhonda feels way better now than she had before, and then she has a little interaction afterwards with uh, in the back with uh, Shayna Baszler. They talk about how she's the number one contender now, and that Ronda's got a match against Liv Morgan at Extreme Rules, and then they mention revenge. Then then uh, uh, Ronda says, "Let me know when you're ready to break some bones and take over the show." Yeah, and that's a. I don't think they're just. This is something. Uh, just a kind of a one-off incident. I think they're planting the seed here for something. I do too. Uh, I, it just wouldn't have happened. They're they're not going to revisit that, and and just just not come back to it. The, the big question is, does Ronda win the title at extreme rules? And as of right now, I, I would, as as hot as she is, I would, I would say the title goes back on her. Um, I think it should. I could I also see too. like Ronda and Shayna coming out and just sort of snapping. Sure. And the two of them, you know, it's a DQ, but they go crazy on live. They make her, you know, they, they look badass, and then you have the two That's of them. That's a good way to do it. That is a very good way to do it. And you can, nobody gets hurt in that way, right? Ronda doesn't make Ronda look bad. Liv doesn't look bad because she's getting her butt kicked by two really badass females. And I, if you want to go in the direction of Ronda and Shayna and keep it on Liv until you have Charlotte or whoever else you want to be the women's champion, and then you focus them on a tag team, maybe you do that with them. Maybe that's, you know, um, maybe that's something. We, uh, the Usos are backstage and and Solo says that Roman called Sammy the man. <laughs> and, and then Sammy says something. He says, hey, you know, if you need anything, we're all looking out for you. And Solo looks at him and he says, if I need anything, I'm coming to you, Use. And J- <laughs> Jimmy Uso is so pissed. <laughs> he is just so pissed off about all of this. It's It's fantastic. We had some fun with uh, Hit Hit Row <laughs> and the Street Profits versus the Maximum Male Models and Los Lotharios. They need these are new groups, so they need to find a little direction for them. But I didn't have a problem with this, and it looks like afterwards they teased that we may be getting L.A. Knight back. We have to, right? Please, on. and you turn him. Look, when he when he does and he yeah and he's a baby face, though that crowd is going to just blow up because yeah. they're, they're wanting him to do it now. You're hearing the yeah chants and LA night chants to begin with. You know he's going to turn on these guys. He's got to. He's got to turn. I, I I don't know how you do it. I guess you can do it without having them feud with anyone. And being a storyline here, I do like the the vignettes that they've been doing. I think it's a good looking group. I, I, you know, they're um, they're you know mid card type, but LA Knight is not mid card type. That once he gets his moniker back, I think that's a guy that that can go after. Uh, that's, a, that's a main event championships, dude. man. That's a you main know? eventer. He Absolutely, and it can talk to talk. Just imagine letting him by himself on the mic every Friday night by himself. How how popular that guy would be on on finally on mainstream television. Yeah, they're on the USA Network on Tuesday nights. And hey, look, you know those ratings are getting better and better. But his time there, um, why he did a bunch of good stuff. Just imagine if two, two point two, two five million are watching on Friday nights. 
this guy's a star in the making. And, and I think they know that. And I, I think we're getting ready to see him turn face. And it's going to be a massive turn. I think it's, it's really going to do well. Hit Row and the Street Profits pick up the win over Mensua in Marseille and, <laughs> <laughs> and the Los Lotharios. Uh, and then we get Braun, who th- I preferred this better because yes. coming out and squashing Otis and Gable, it just doesn't feel like you come out and squash four teams and ruin a whole division. Taking out those two guys who are th- – man, I got to give it up to Gable. He's just – they found such a perfect, a great role for him on on the shows because he's able to come out and be like a, a comedy gimmick, but at the same time – Everyone completely respects his ability in the ring. You don't really think he's going to get a big win over a big established star. But like we saw with Johnny Gargano, it is not surprising if Chad Gable goes 10, 15 minutes with anyone on the roster. No. And, you know, he, he's been an unsung hero for a while. I, I think Chad I Gable— Where's he on the PWI? He's got to yeah. be at, right? He's had a <laughs> he good year. Be in the top 200, damn it. <laughs> um, and the, the shoosh please is just, it drives you insane, but you want to say it, you know, they're, they're heels, but every time he says it, the crowd pops for it. Uh, yeah, the dude can go. And despite his size, I, I think alpha Academy had, and even Otis has, has done pretty good for the scenario he's been put in, but this, yeah, I, I, this is what I prefer when you come in and bring a big guy in and he just destroys everyone. It, it just, it's not a good look on those teams or those individuals. I thought this was a much better way to uh, to bring Braun onto SmackDown. So is Braun going to be SmackDown now, or is he a Raw guy? I think so, right? Because he wasn't on Raw yeah. this yeah. week. So, so I think he'll, I think he'll be a, a SmackDown guy. And okay. uh, Gable is sort of slotting into this Miz kind of rule to where yeah. when you bring someone new onto your show – or you bring in a celebrity, or you bring someone like that. Gable's like an easy person for them to interact with, because he over and make you look good, man. He, he cut a good he, promo on, at the same time, and he's and he's entertaining, right? You can think of guys like Gable Stevenson, right? Will have sure, something sure. to do with with Chad Gable. You know, you just uh, all these guys that'll come up. He feels like a fun first feud, sort of like a Ziggler used to be. Sometimes, like you're a uh, your first guy to beat along the way. We spoke about that main event match. I Drew just, uh, you know, back to game. I just wonder why. I just wonder if he's got a Kurt Angle run type run in him. I know. Somebody mentioned. Um, I, I think it was similarities yeah. there, man. With with Se- those two. Yesterday on, um, or it was a few days ago on Wrestling Inc. Justin Labar, who's one of the hosts on there, he said, you know, everybody says Kurt Angle with Gable because of the Olympic stuff, and it's obviously visible. He said, for me, Gable reminds me a lot of Owen Hart. Yeah, yeah. I said, "Wow, that's a good one because it, is. it really he's is." He's kind of got that like the way the 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 promo stuff too, right? Where you just sort of want to see him get punched, you know? Uh, but he's fantastic in the ring and he's entertaining, and it seems like everybody really likes him overall. Oh, and I, I love when Owen Hart, especially the "Enough is enough, and it's time for a change." Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was great. yeah. Enough is enough. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we get to Monday. I, 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 think, I think Gable's got to run in him. I really do. No, he's not going to. At least an IC, an IC title type run, right? U.S. title type run. Yeah, he's got to run in him, man. I, I just see it. I, I I didn't get the Owen Hart until now. I immediately, kind of, you know, easy the easy route and saw some Kurt Angle in him. But this guy is the, the sky's the limit for him, man. You could put him in any spot, and he's going to do really well. 
We get to Monday Night Raw, Portland, Oregon. We kick things off with Seth freaking Rollins and the crowd singing the oh, oh, and, um, he talks about what's next for him. He said he's done with Riddle. And he talked about their match at Clash, 60,000 fans singing his song. And he he wants to move along. He wants to get some championship gold. But then, bro, Riddle interrupts. And he goes after Rollins. They brawl for a little bit. And they're going through the crowd. Then all of a sudden, Judgment Day comes out. And Judgment Day interrupts. So it looks like we're kind of having a couple feuds. I sort of like what they did here. They yeah. They kind of... Took the feud of Rollins and and Riddle, and they brought Judgment Day into it, but it doesn't. I don't think the Rollins Riddle is completely over, and the Judgment Day feud they still have stuff going with Ray. I could almost see all of these things coming together in a weird way. Like I could see Riddle being a guy that stands with Edge and Survivor Series match. You know, right? I think that's what we're going with here. Absolutely, doesn't it feel like, like that. And I think, and I think you had to do something like this to save Judgment Day. And hey, look, they've they've been a lot better with Rhea. I'll, I'll, you know, we've said this for a couple of weeks now. She came back; they they feel legitimate. But having them involved in two different storylines with different uh, with Edge, as you said, the Mysterios, uh, they come back in the main event. I, I Finn think, picks up a win here too. Finn it, picks it up a win a over Riddle. Match. Finn didn't and win these types of matches before. No, he didn't, and and that's a good point. And I think all signs point to a hell of a hell of a Survivor Series match between these these uh, these eight right here. I, I I think it. Uh, yeah. I think you needed to do something to save Judgment Day because I thought uh, that they were going to be in trouble. I wasn't worried about Damian Priest because they they've got things they can do with him. I was I was concerned. I was concerned about Finn Balor. I thought, okay, if, if this doesn't work out for him, he could be in trouble. But I like what they're doing here. They came back in the main event, and now they're that heel faction. And, hey, look, man, we say this a lot. That world title, that unified world title hasn't been all raw for a while now. You have to go out and do some things. And it doesn't seem like there's been a very big drop-off. Yeah, the ratings. Now there's Monday Night Football. You have the Emmys and the Bachelor, the Bachelorette or whatever. But there's not a big drop-off with this talent being involved with a lot of storylines. And I think they've really done well by not having Roman Reigns on Monday nights and doing things elsewhere. Look at Bobby Lashley. Look at Judgment Day. Look at Edge. I think they're building – not that these guys needed big pushes, but I think they've made them the focal point of Raw, kind of like what Cody was. Uh, and you got you got to remember, he was the guy that was supposed to be in this slot. Cody yep. was supposed to be Mr. Monday Night, uh, but now Seth Rollins, Riddle, I think they've done a pretty good job on Monday Night with not having the Unified World Champion on there. And then Rollins runs in. Uh, Rollins runs into Lashley backstage. Rollins I like that. Part- I like yeah. that. Well, it I just like it that. makes sense. Rollins calls himself the face of Monday Night Raw. Lashley says, "Hey, I'm the U.S. Champ here." You know, and Rollins says, "Okay, I'll go after you." And then, boom, we have a match set up for next week for the U.S. Love Championship. It. I Rollins love it. I love versus it. Versus Lashley, awesome it's match. New. It's new, and right? I don't think Rollins is going to win this title, but I could absolutely see them doing it and just saying, "Yeah, let's put it on Rollins for a little while, and you know, we'll let him, you know, we'll let him run with the U.S. Championship, and he'll we'll have. You know, get, some... We'll probably get a great twenty-minute match, and Riddle will come out and ruin things. Exactly, <laughs> he yeah. will." But I, I like it when, when they had the interaction backstage. I said, okay, I can really get into this because I think them them two, it's fresh. I don't recall them ever being in the ring with each other. 
Uh, if it did, it, was, it wasn't for very long other than maybe a tag or some kind of rumble moment or something like that. So I really like that direction of that storyline. We had a Dominic Mysterio promo, and this was pretty – this was solid. I mean, yeah, it, I wasn't, like- it, it wasn't like he's not, you know, going to cut the greatest promo in the world, but he changed the way he talks. He changed his tone, and it, it felt sort of – it felt sort of real, like someone would say to their dad after maybe living in their dad's shadow. I love how they keep playing with us about how Rhea's making him a man. Yeah. <laughs> they're not saying it, but they're telling us, like, I'm a man now, dad. And he says something like, man, you cast a very large shadow for a tiny, tiny man. And I thought that was, and that's, I thought that was funny. Yeah, and I'm not, she whispers in his ear and he's like, I'm not your baby boy anymore. I'm the man. You kind of figure out, okay, we know why you're the man, pal. And we appreciate your, uh, your, uh, your climb to manhood. <laughs> and this was another one that was totally organic. Yes. How this happened with the Rhea part in him, because when, when judgment day would go down and take out the Mysterios, Rhea would always go after Dominic and there'd be these weird angles of like, Rhea's legs around Dominic's head You know with like a head scissors Or she'd be <laughs> in these weird positions And people online started Making comments about it and Rhea Said I'm your poppy You know you know, and, and it just sort of Became a thing And that's how the best ones are because you know why Rhea is having a blast with this You can just yeah. tell You know we bitched about my god When is this kid gonna turn on his dad And you forget that if Dominic turns on Ray, you know, now that w- what we've seen has, has unfolded, if Dominic turned on Ray, Dominic by himself is going to get lost and it's going Absolutely. to be very, very unbelievable. It's you are 100% be- right. He would have gotten lost immediately. It would have been like anytime someone has that, like the Miz versus Alex Riley. Sure. And then yeah. where go and then the Miz versus Damian Sandow. And then where does Sandow go? Down, right? They have their one Perfect. match. Yes. And then they're gone. And so I, I yeah, I, I thought, you know, okay, it's worth it now. He needed direction. He needed some yep. guidance and home run here. This has been fantastic. His his match with Edge in the main event was good. Oh, good. He looked good in the ring. And he's he needed this. This like he just needed this tweak. There's a better energy with the judgment day right now, too. This you're right. This was the, the timing ended up working out really, really well. And now moving forward, we could see the next couple months leading into maybe something at Extreme Rules and then a Survivor Series match, and then the Royal Rumble comes up. So now you've got all these different options in the next few months, and I think they're in really good shape. We had the women's tag team championship match, which we uh, spoke about a little earlier, where uh, damage control gets the win. So EO and Dakota are your new women's tag team champs. Didn't like the fact that they had a two week run, but ho- let's hope moving forward. Can we, at le- we, we, we need to build a little bit of a division because if you look around right now, who are the tag teams that they're going to face or that they're worried about facing? Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, Carmella's out. She's been hurt. Uh, you don't know if she's coming back with, uh, with Zelina. Nikki and Dewdrop have been beaten over and over, and they over look like they're about to break up. And Alexa and Asuka aren't even a real tag team. Yeah, we they're, don't know what's going on there. They're two of the, the better singles stars you yeah. have in the division that you don't want really, like, in a tag team. If they threw Ronda and, so- and, uh, and Shayna together, that would at least be a team. I mean, you yeah, have to find. 
I just have a feeling, man, we're going to get Sasha and Naomi back for this. Yeah, you're I, right. It just I, feels I, like we're, we're... I, w- I wish they would hold off to the Rumble, but I think at the way it went out with them being tag team champions and being stripped of their titles, we have a heel faction. You have Sasha come back, Naomi's back, and then Bailey's in the mix. That makes for some interesting television times over the next couple of months. I did like the little backstage that they had when uh, Dominic and when Ray says, "Please don't don't fight Dominic, please." And Ed says, "Hey man, you know, I love you, I respect you, but he's a man now, so he needs to just take it out. You know, he's just like, I'm just gonna kick your son's ass. You know, just sorry, <laughs> sorry, buddy." And <laughs> Ray is just like, "Okay, okay, man." But Ray does end up coming out in the in the uh, in the main event to help save, try to save. You know, Dominic, when Edge is going at him, Edge ends up winning by DQ because of the uh, the interference there. So a couple other things to mention that really good Gargano Gable match. And again, they have a couple different things happening here because Gargano wins this match and then looks like they're building to a Gargano Austin Theory match at, you know, a, a pay-per-view or sometime soon. But Austin Theory has this kind of TV feud going on right now with Kevin Owens, who comes out and cuts an absolutely incredible promo. It's like him and John Moxley are playing this game where they're trying to one up each other, you know, with their promos on different yeah. shows each week because this was great and it's real. And talks about Austin Theory and hey man, you're talented, but you're a dime a dozen. Everybody's coming here with a look like you. Do you care? Do you want to go the extra mile? Do you want to go out there every single night and and really prove it? Me and Gargano, we're the type, we're the heart and souls of this show, this industry. And it was, I mean, it was great. He feels like in the last couple of weeks, he is, at least in my opinion, moved up on the card more than anyone And it's not even like winning a bunch of matches or anything. It's with the promos that he's cutting. I feel like he has, if you were to line up everyone right now and say, who could maybe beat Roman or who could be like the guy, he feels like one of them. He really does. Yeah, this has been pretty fun to watch. Um, You know, you go back to the Money in the Bank matches, briefcase ladder matches over the past several, several years. Uh, There's been, there's been several winners that just weren't good money in the briefcase winners and for booking purposes or whatever it's worth, you know, it's, uh, they just haven't turned out very well. It, it, it hasn't been, you know, Big E, uh, him finally cashing it in and winning it was a good, uh, Nikki ASH, Nikki, uh, remember Otis during the, the video, uh, Corbin wasn't long ago either Corbin. So I, I, I think this is a, you know, Austin Theory is a Weasley, Weasley heel, and he has done so well in this spot. He's great. And when you add Kevin Owens to the mix, Kevin Owens and these promos have just been off the charts. Just when you think this guy can't get any more over uh, with his promos, uh, especially the ones he was cutting on the road to WrestleMania, talking about Texas and talking about uh, Steve Austin, you think, okay, but man, this again, this was another A plus uh, five star promo from this guy. And you've got to think, hey, maybe they do a KO versus Austin Theory match for the briefcase. Maybe yeah. KO wins that thing and, and cashes it in. I don't know. And, and he does it like a 
like, you know, I could see him doing it the honest way, even. Hey, yes, I'm challenging hey. at the Rumble for this yes, or whatever. I you know, one hundred percent agree, and maybe that's the route they're going. It, uh, but even it's if great. they're not We're it, thinking it, about it, it's sure, awesome that, that we think it's a possibility. That's what this is all it, about. Yes, that's what, that, that's what compelling yes, TV and wrestling is about. Is that wow? They've built up Kevin Owens right now to where we think that it could be him or maybe yep. Johnny Gargano. I don't think Johnny Gargano because he's so new. I don't right. know if they would immediately you be never like, know. Hey, you but never who knows? Maybe Triple H just goes, screw it. Like, let's give this guy an opportunity. He'll still have six more months to where we can, you know, make him feel like he's got a shot at winning the title. And, I mean, right now he feels like he's a top-tier babyface on Monday Night Raw. Good night yeah, yeah. for Gargano. Good night for KO. Oh, yeah. The Gargano match was – the crowd just ate that up, man. It, it was it was a hello – it was a really good match. Um, I, you know, you have some chain wrestling in there involved at the beginning. You have some outs, outside shenanigans. I, I just think that uh, they're, they're clicking on all cylinders right now in a majority of their storylines. But a big night, as you said, for KO and Johnny wrestling. The crowd's eating those two up, man. They're eating those two up big time. You think about this. This you have out there on the roster. You have Dakota, EO, Bianca. Bailey, Oscar, and Alexa come out. You have Sonia, who comes out for the True. open that challenge. <laughs> so I think compare that to what we see on AEW, where we have the one women's match on Dynamite in that same time every week. It's usually one on one or a tag, and then com- th- this is without Becky Lynch and Charlotte, Charlotte. and Sasha Banks. <laughs> And they know me. It's without all of them. The two, especially the top two biggest names in WWE, Becky and Charlotte. They're not even in right now. And Sasha. Sasha's a star. Whatever you think good or bad about Sasha, she's legitimate top three or four. Mainstream name, too. All time in the WWE. When she's healthy, she can go. She can really, really go. it, It again, like you look back and you just see the wealth that they... This is always going to be the difference between WWE and any other wrestling organization, the depth they have in their women's division. And it is incredible. Sonia comes out for that open challenge. I love how Bianca says, hey, this is an open challenge. It's not an open mic. Get in the <laughs> ring. And she tells her to shut up. And she gets in the ring. Um, I heard a couple people say this too. I don't know if something was sort of off with Sonia, the match just didn't kind of click for me. I, it's, yeah, it was weird. I, I don't know what. Even Corey Graves made a like a weird comment. He was yeah. like, "She's a badass, legitimately speaking." So, okay, does she is she badass in meaning she can fight and beat anybody up because she's got an MMA background, or is her ass in a negative t- tone towards? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was just odd. That was just really odd. And it just, this didn't work for me. I didn't like no. it. I like the promo afterwards with Bailey coming out. Yeah. That kind of saved the spot. But the match, eh, it, it wasn't all that. Uh, things that I do like about it. Positive, you have a match that nobody thought Bianca was going to lose. And it and it gives you a little bit of stakes on the show versus a random match. I'm okay with it. It just... For some reason, it didn't click. Like, Sonya's better in the ring than she showed there uh, for whatever reason. Then you mentioned post-match, we get Bailey who comes out. And then we had a little bit of a a little brawl where Alexa and Asuka come down to make the save. 
What do you think about Omos with the uh, the squashes they're going for now with Omos? Yeah, you know, it, it's the it's the old go, they go back to what is comfortable, what is uh, with big guys. You're trying to get them over again. I, I don't know what we can do with Omos at this point. I'm just being honest. I don't know what neither. And it's because over. Maybe you try to start doing some of the things that worked with Braun, where you have him do these feats of strength, and you have him do some other other stuff. Because right now, like, you can't put this guy in the main event, no, because nobody will believe it and nobody wants to see it. But you can't put him in the ring with like really low level guys on the card because he's so big that he should just crush them. Hey, you know what he reminds me of? Seriously, and I and I, he, he you remember No Holds Barred. Zeus, uh, Zeus. He kind of reminds right. guy that's so big, which was Tiny Lister, I think was his real name, uh, and uh, he's no longer with us. I don't believe. R.I.P. He was he was phenomenal in in Friday Zemo. as Debo. He just knocked you out. <laughs> I, I, I think Omos. I don't even know if he would be better served going to NXT he, for a little while. I, I don't agree. Even, with, no, no, you're you're right. I think that needs to happen. I think yeah. his presence on NXT would feel. And there's yeah. some big guys there, Sanja, Sanga, whatever. We saw him and Von Wagner. There's some big guys there that he could work with. I just don't think him and MVP are are going to do it for anyone. That was a no. that was an F minus spot. He, that 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 he, spot didn't need to be on Monday Night Raw. He's just better, I think, for now for a while as the the big guy that's with someone. He like he would be perfect standing next to MJF. Yeah, because look, the way you look at it, what are we going to do next week on Raw? We're going to squash two more people. So if he does and get some momentum going, what? Where? Can't put him with Lashley. Already been there, done that. So what do you do with him? I know. Seriously, on Raw, what do you do with him? Like you can't. Who? Where do you go with him right now? That's what's hard. Um, and he's kind of like a circus act. All big guys were. They were all well, like He's that. a territory. He he would have been beautiful in the territories, right? 100%, 100%. You come in, you see him once a week or once every month. You go to the local show. He kills a couple squashers. Out, uh, like he squashes a couple <laughs> jobbers out there, you know, and it's like – and that's it. But when you see him week in, week out, like he's not as – he's not as athletic as Braun. He's not – you know, he doesn't – he's not as compelling – or he's not like a guy like the Big Show who can talk really well as a big man. You know, it's just like what is, what does he do better than others? They have to find it, and he he should be getting developed right now, not necessarily getting five to ten minutes of TV where there's two million people watching. Yeah, I agree. I I just I look kudos for them trying. Uh, maybe they, you know, maybe him and Otis can do something. I'm I'm trying to think of maybe some bigger. And Otis is not all that tall. But I just don't know where you go with him at this point. And, and why take up five minutes of squashing each week to try to build him up that no one's going to buy? I think I, I – look, I, I, I think, like the NXT idea. I like your idea I there of NXT. Too. I think that's I a good too. call. We we have the interview at Miz's house. Oh, with, this, is uh, this is amazing. So Miz is doing an interview, and so they have the, the camera just rolling because they, they're asking him some questions and stuff. And it, we're in his home. We see his family. His kids are – are you know getting ready to go to bed? Miz and his wife are about to go out somewhere. She looks fantastic. Maurice looks great, and he's just taught you know just being really normal. And Miz is is scared. He doesn't want to go. He said, you know, are you worried about uh, you know everything that's going on? And Maurice is just kind of laughing. She says, 
She's not coming to our house. Is this really about that freak? We have a gate and security guards. He's never going to come here. And uh, the cameraman asks Miz about Dexter Loomis, but Miz says, don't say that. Um, he has a police escort, and Miz gets mad because they keep asking about Loomis, and he says the interview's over. And as he walks off, we see Loomis from behind staring. He's in the house, and he's holding up a drawing of Miz and his family. It's so creepy and weird, but it's, like, funny. It's, like, this one-hour photo thing with Robin Williams. You ever seen that one? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. This is fantastic. I don't know where it's going. I don't know. I, I, because I'm supposed to be cheering for a guy who broke into Miz's house <laughs> and is in there with his kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where we're going with this, but it's been fantastic television. It really has. I mean, it Miz is those guys who's – you, you can take somewhat seriously. I mean, hell, the guy has done just about everything in the WWE that you could possibly think of. But this guy has been in, put in more odd scenarios. And you can't just put anyone in odd scenarios. Maybe the, it, I'm not comparing his status to The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. But look at that roster on the WWE, both Raw and SmackDown. How many guys can pull off what he's doing here that he's doing? Uh, uh, the Logan Paul stuff, Logan the Bad Paul, Bunny stuff. The Bad Bunny. Now with this, not very many people can do it. They just can't no. do it. I, I, I think this is just a a plus stuff here. This is, this is great. This is really good. This is really good. I agree. It, it made me laugh quite a bit. Let's head over to NXT. We open things up with the Creed Brothers versus Pretty Deadly in a awesome cage match where these guys were doing some. Impressive stuff these creeds man Um Damon Kemp climbs the, climbs the wall And he's the reason why Pretty Deadly ends up winning this thing But uh just The, the stuff they're able to do physically So impressive Yeah and, and you know it, it's uh you, Are they you, coming up like, you think You know I, I don't know I did notice that NXT Has taped their next two weeks of shows, and I, I'm definitely staying away from that. Um, and we'll talk about the big news for NXT here at the at the end of the NXT segment. But I, there's only what can you do with them? I think they announced that one of the Creed brothers is uh, is in a single match uh, coming up next week uh, on NXT. Uh, if these guys start losing. My guess would be you're probably going to maybe see them on Raw or SmackDown. I, I just think they're they're too over. They're too and they're unique, ready and they're ready to go. They can talk on the mic. They're they're kind of like the the 2000. They're they're the new age version of the Steiner brothers. And I hate to say that, but they are. They're unique and they can go. They're awkward in the ring, but that's what makes them different, man. It makes them uh, us just cheer for them. If you if these if these guys start losing here over the next couple of weeks again, we're gonna have to monitor this. I I, I don't think they stay on Tuesday nights very long, but we'll see. We'll see because we got some big things coming for NXT, but we'll see. So Wes Lee was picked to be Carmelo Hayes' challenger over Von Wagner and Joe Gacy. Really? So they picked Wes Lee over those two guys. Huh? <laughs> like they put the two most hateable guys on NXT along with Wes Lee, who's a baby face. So he's he's pumped. He gets a, a match later on in the night. But what they actually did was they had Carmelo and Trick attack Wesley, take him out of the match, and it led to Wesley not being able to participate. And it actually led 
to a new North American champ, Solo Sokoa, who is just coming off of his SmackDown debut. He comes out, crowd treats him like he's a major star, and he ends up winning the North American title. I thought it was kind of a a strange thing to do, but I sort of liked it. It was just out of nowhere. You know, you kind of forgot about Solo there. You just thought he was coming up. Now he has this North American title that he'll probably take on SmackDown. Do you think this guy can be as big as Roman Reigns? He, right now, at this point of his career... Man, there's something about him, isn't it? He carries himself way, way more confidently right now than what than the Usos did when they started or than Roman Reigns did when he started. Like, he, he's got that confidence, man. He feels like he's he knows he's a star, and he thinks he just belongs. I, I, I thought it was very odd. Um, I like the outcome. Hell, all the Usos, uh, the Bloodlines winning the titles. But just think, him standing there with Roman Reigns. Yeah. Roman's got his unified titles, the Usos with their unified tag team championships, and this guy has the NXT North American Championship title uh, around his waist. That's that's impressive company there. And I'm not saying this guy is going to be, but there is something about him now in the way they did this match and the storyline turn to get him involved and to go over and I don't know if Carmelo is going to be those ones that it's going to be brought up. He, he's definitely could he, be. He's, I mean, he's ready too. He, him he, and Trick are he, a pretty good package. Like Carmelo could come up right now and be. He know. is. He he is, and that's something that you know. Again, I always watch it when guys lose guys or girls that lose titles, um, especially on NXT. If they start losing over the next couple of weeks, there's something to that, and that's not a punishment. No. That that often leads to them getting the call up. But man, Solo is just uh he's gonna bring that title with him this Friday night on SmackDown. And I expect a uh I expect Roman to be there. Yeah. I expect them to all be in the ring and it's gonna be pretty impressive. I think this guy, I'm not saying it happens because you you don't know what, what's gonna happen, but this guy at this stage of his career is pretty damn impressive, man. Could he be someone I mean, I'm not saying right now, but that they have turned. Instead of the Rock, instead of waiting on the Rock, absolutely. You have the younger family member could, be the guy you do that it by WrestleMania, absolutely. You, you know, could. and 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 maybe good call there. Just because the the thing that is always weird to me about the Roman Rock thing is that don't you want like the next guy? I think I don't know who it does much for because right now those guys are both stars. They're both really over, right? Like there's right now. Does does Roman Reigns beating The Rock? I don't know. Does that do a whole lot for him when The Rock's not around as much? It's a big match. It's a big deal. Don't get me I wrong. Think the right? build, yeah, I think the buildup is bigger than the match. Than, than the match. But yeah. like Roman Reigns doesn't need a win over The Rock. But someone like a Solo Sokoa picking up a win over a Roman Reigns down the line, like that is what makes you. Could you buy one night one or night two of Roman versus Solo for the world, the unified world title? Could that sell out SoFi out there in California? See, I don't know if it's one year, but in another year, I think you could. Like, I think you may need to build this guy up to give him a good WrestleMania match, give him a little run in the Rumble, and then you still have him be part of the bloodline for a while, and then he finally gets sick of, like, having to do the crap. Like we saw with the Usos, but... 
he feels just like a more of a single star than either of the Usos ever could have been. 100%. This guy does not need to be in a tag ever. Now, if he's in no. a sixth man with the Usos at, during Raw or SmackDown or Raw, whatever, I'm fine with that. I mean, this, this guy doesn't even need a mouthpiece with him. He doesn't. No. He doesn't need a Paul Heyman with him. No, he's got the he's got the the look, the 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 voice. He's got all of it. Solo Sokoa. Couple other uh, quick hits. Lash Legend hasn't really been able to step forward. You know, no. Nah, this much. was this was wonky. This was weak and short. And I, I I didn't like it. I don't know what's going on here, but I didn't like it. No. Um. Fallon Henley wins. Then we have Songa talking to Valentina Faraz and uh, Leon. Um, looks like Songa and Von Wagner may have some interaction here. We have Briggs and Jensen Mamarillo. Mamarillo. He's hitting on uh, Mandy Rose. He's talking <laughs> about her t- 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 title belt. <laughs> Slow title. down, kid. <laughs> um, then uh, Mandy and Toxic Attraction cut a big promo. They just, same type of stuff. They say that Toxic Attraction is going to go for the tag team belts again. And then Alba Fire enters. I respect her in-ring ability. I think she's got a lot of it. It's I don't I just don't know why it doesn't connect with her with me. Yeah, I don't it, don't, I don't don't feel alone her. on this. I, I think you, myself, and a lot of other people. Um, look, her in-ring ability speaks for itself, but her likability something's missing there. I, yeah. I don't know if it was the name change. Uh, I, I just it seems like she's been chasing this title forever too, and I don't like that. It's one of those things like that it, it's like it seems cool on paper when you read it yeah. and she talks yeah. about her history and the ancestry and stuff, but it doesn't I don't know, it just doesn't connect. I'm not I'm not too excited for this feud. It looks like where we're going with her. Wendy Chu is interviewed, um, and she gets it uh she gets interrupted by Lash Legend, so we'll probably have a little TV feud between the two of them. We had Cora Jade talk about it was, I everybody. <laughs> it was pretty funny, I gotta say. It was it a pretty was. funny. It was, good. it was one of her better like promo segments where she just said, "Here's what's happened in the last year." It was like this was my last year, and it was a delusional, you know, like what really didn't, you know, I beat them and I beat them and I'm better than them and I like, you know, so it was. It was pretty good. I thought I thought that was kind of funny. And then the highlight of the show, the super diva Quincy <laughs> Elliott shows up on his scooter. And man, I got to say his his wardrobe, his his outfit, yeah. his in-ring gear and his look and his mannerisms. So he comes to the ring on a scooter. Wade Barrett is like what the hell is going what on here? On here? <laughs> I have, I've been I've never seen anything like this and I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. But then Wade <laughs> was impressed cuz the guy can go. He's doing he looks like a combination when he's in the ring of what Goldust would wear and Mabel. Like men from Men on a Mission. It was like the same color. I definitely I definitely got and I couldn't remember Mabel, so I just said Viscera, but I definitely got the Viscera Goldust mm-hmm. Mabel as soon as as soon as he got into the ring, I, I thought. And this this guy's about to be a big star in NXT. Yep. I'm just telling you, there is, is something there about this man. He's unique, but he but the, but the most important thing of all, he's he's got the personality package. But the guy can go in the ring. He's very athletic. He's quick. He's fast. And in like Goldust, 
he's going to be someone that plays these mind games on guys. He's he was doing the gold dust yeah. type stuff, like exact mimics of gold dust. And there aren't really like there's not a big like him in NXT right now. There are some big guys, but not like a bigger, a big heavy, right? A super heavyweight type guy. You know, sure. I I thought this was a, I thought he looked good. I thought the presentation was good, and I thought he looked good in the ring. Like for an for a first time debut, he checked a lot of the boxes you want to check. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And I, I like I said last week, there's some of my favorite characters in wrestling have been. You know, I, I could I, I remembered Adrian Street and there was another Adrian. There at one time Adrian Adonis did this yes. gimmick. Put the makeup yep. on with the pink. Adorable up. Adrian. Yep. Adorable Adrian Adonis. You know, I, I think this this is a home run here. I it it's it's a little off uh the beaten path, but it, it's been done tastefully, you know. Yep. Um, and I think you know, you you look at other stars out there wrestling uh you know sunny kiss had the opportunity to to do uh something like this in aew but when things are done right they're done tastefully where you're not offending both sides of the aisle you know what i mean i i think it works and this this guy doesn't need a title ever he just needs to be on tv a lot either his promos or in-ring stuff i think there's some really good stuff they can do with him on tuesday nights so since this was the one year anniversary of NXT 2.0, we had different um, different people throughout the night cutting their promos. Like we said, Cora uh, Jade uh, did. We had one from Carmelo. We had a really good one from Braun, who talked all about the year and what went down and what happened, losing it's Ziggler. On for the last couple of weeks, right? He's just like he's finding his footing now. Yeah, like this was that the best. This was something. Something took off that last pay per view. He's and maybe it's maybe he found love. With his his is it Cora Cora Jade right. yeah above and that's all he needed but I can tell you this this guy's right. a different guy now it's the like there's a there's something in his voice that's just a little bit more comfortable and yeah he was he was good here and you have Cameron Grimes versus Tony D and and Channing Stacks and it was supposed to be a one on uh, Cameron Grimes versus the two of them he didn't want to have a, a tag team partner but then Joe Gacy comes out and helps. And Joe Gacy and Grimes pick up the win. And then after they're like, he's like hugging Cameron and he doesn't want anything to do with it. And then they just beat his ass afterwards. And you know what? We, we've crapped on Gacy for a long time and it's been deserving. I'm not saying the guy has done bad at what he's done. It's just none of it has made sense and none of it has worked. I think this past Tuesday night was this the was first kind of entertaining. That I agree I with could you. And a segment that he was involved in. I mean, it was almost like a team hell no thing with him and And Daniel Bryan. And I think we can go there with this. I do too. I didn't think this was what it was going to be when Grimes had a mystery partner. No one thought it was going to be Joe Gacy, but they did. They won. Then they beat his ass. It's great. It was. It was good. I actually. It it was just intriguing. I'm good. What works is the works, man. First thing I've been interested in with Gacy. Ever, maybe. Just kind Since of day one. He cut he cut an interesting promo, his debut. We thought, okay, this is their version of Bray Wyatt. Then it just went south. It and, just went uh, south. We had Tyler Bate interview get interviewed and he wants a rematch with Braun. So it's gonna be him and JD McDonough there. Um maybe maybe one of the tag teams that they're building, I don't know. I I like Nikita more than being in a tag team, but I will say Zoe Stark is a great tag team women's wrestler because yes, yes. she doesn't have that 
main event or like maybe single star because she doesn't cut great promos, but she's really good in a tag team because she's just a good in-ring wrestler. Yeah, and I've been concerned about Nikita. Now, I don't know if she's been battling an injury. There there was the talk that she had some damage to her knee, but then she appeared one week on a promo, and then we didn't see her since, and now she's back. I'll take what we can get, and I'm with you. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is with, uh, with Zoe being in tag teams, but there's something there and that's a viable tag team to be, uh, a, a top contender for your NXT, uh, women's tag. And I thought this was the best women's match of the night, uh, of, of the two or three that they had. I thought this was the better of the bunch. I agree. And then, uh, Grayson Waller interview backstage. He just was mad that he didn't make the, uh, super, the finalist for superstar of the year. And uh, well, we had security guard Hank Walker versus <laughs> versus Javi, and um, Hank Walker picks up the win, and <laughs> we uh, Hank Walker gets a contract, right? Sure, he does. He he does. So uh, Hank Walker, he's a new member of NXT. Had no walkout music. That's what I liked. It was yes. like was it the NXT theme song was his walkout? Mm-hmm. I thought just the little things like that. They're great. Those they would, little details like that, man. That would be like when Teddy Long would come out, you know, or or not Teddy because he had his own music, but when the the GM for SmackDown comes out, yeah. they play the SmackDown theme. Yeah, yeah. I love I love when yeah. they do stuff like that. Yeah, it's me- those little things like that get it over the top with me. Those details, and you think they're really minute, but no, that's what made this all work. You know, you're not gonna believe this guy. He comes out to his own music. You're like, he's already got a walkout song. No, oh. the theme song is perfect for for this guy. And we got a Saul Ruka vignette there. So Solo ends up picking up the win to close out the uh, the show there. And then Coop, we get a Shawn Michaels voiced video package that, that talks about how NXT is constantly evolving with a focus on the future. And then the black and gold comes back. No more NXT 2.0. They're going back to NXT black and gold. And, and you know what? They what's odd is they got their best rating ever in the NXT 2.0 era. I'm the last on, one. Oh, the last one. And here we are. I think the next two episodes are taped, so they'll probably be down a little bit. I don't know when this when it takes over. It may take over next week. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's a stacked card. But hey, it was. And I use this word a lot since you used it because I, I like it. it. Look, NXT 2.0 was walkie. Yes, um, it was. Especially it, in the beginning, it was, is this going to work? They brightened up the performance center. Uh looked like uh, Nickelodeon had taken over, uh, had won the logo contest. Um, but they kind of they kind of stood their ground and grinded it out. And there were a lot of weeks that weren't very good. But, man, it just seems like they've been able to take off. Do you think... Here within the next, let's give them, I don't know, you have a rebranding again. We're going back. Over, under, do you think within the next, let's say, four months, and that's a long time, do you think that NXT could hit that one million audience mark on USA Network on Tuesday nights? I think they could do it for particular shows. I don't know if they could do it week in, week out. Oh, no, not no. I'm just talking about one week. Yes, absolutely. And especially if, if they're going to go with the approach that NXT is to build the stars for the future, but it's also going to be something that's kind of the separate brand where we need a couple of stars on there to help sell it. 
absolutely. I mean, if you're bringing it, it, and look at the roster right now too. If there's some of the folks that you brought up that haven't really made it, and you bring them back down to NXT to help them, you build to big shows on Tuesdays. You know, every couple months that are like pay per view style. Absolutely, I think so. And I just think there's a much better. The the problem with NXT, Chad, what ended up happening when we all as viewers could could sense that NXT was so separate from WWE that it, it got hard to get excited about those wrestlers because it was a totally different world. There was no crossover from NXT up to Monday Night Raw and to SmackDown. So now all of a sudden we're going, okay, cool. Well, Adam Cole is having this awesome match, but is he ever going to be able to be a star on Raw? Like you... People cared less about NXT because of that. Now that you know that there's a direct connection and that, again, the people that we are getting excited about when they come in, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Nakamura, Finn Balor, we're excited about them because we know that they're going to be on the main roster soon. You weren't sure of that for a little while, and then they went the total opposite. They said, now we're just going to bring on a whole bunch of people that are only going to be people we're grooming for the main roster and that aren't really... Like proven in ring and that don't really have a name recognition. I think you're going to get the best version of NXT now, moving forward yeah, than we've ever had. Yeah, and you brought and you bring up a good point. If, if look, you you can't if you see a guy or girl on that roster that there's no reason for them to be on Tuesday nights anymore, and you have to bring them up. That's understandable. I don't know. I, I don't know what the the game plan is with bringing these people. Up uh, in, in a quick manner. I, I you know, at at, t- at one time I thought I was with you. I, I, this was a a division, especially when it got on TV um, outside of the the WWE, then the WWE network. I thought, okay, some of these guys and girls are are being groomed. Not the Adam Coles of the world, of course not. But but getting ready to come up on that main roster, we put them on there. They get their feet wet in the WWE way of doing things right. And so they bring them up either too soon or too late or whatever it is. I, I don't know. I don't know how often we're going to see that now. Um, maybe we do. Maybe it's something they come up and down, back and forth. Um, you know, the question is going to be the the longevity. Uh, you know, if, if Braun uh, Breaker is really ready to come up, do you automatically bring him up over the next couple of months? You just put him in special events like the rumble or survivor series, have an NXT team um, on survivor series or something like that. I think that one of these main goals for, for this new rebranding is to hit that 1 million mark at least one time. I think it's a mission for Shawn Michaels and and triple H uh, to get this brand at 1 million. So I, I, I think we see some, some longevity with some of these guys and girls staying on this roster until that can be done. So well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun time either way. I just think it was odd that we're going back to the black and gold, and here we are popping nearly 800,000 on, you know, on audience Tuesday night. And, hey, kudos to them for being able to do that because at the beginning, uh, NXT 2.0 was a little odd, man. It, it's, uh, you often wondered if this thing was going to get out of the three, four hundred thousands because there were weeks where those ratings were really bad, really bad. Let, let's quickly hit on some of the stuff going on in AEW. Yeah. I got to finish up in just a few, but we're moving towards the next week's show, which is Grand Slam. And we opened up the show, Sammy Guevara, John Moxley for the uh, in the tournament to make it to the final for the world title. 
And Moxley gets the win Sammy did a couple really impressive things In this match I thought he looked pretty good um, And I didn't really get the feeling That he was ever going to win You had Ty come in with the low blow there I love that Renee uh, 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 <laughs> On Twitter she said Keep your hands off of my man Or something <laughs> like that Like watch your hands and that So Mox, Mox picks up the win And I guess we could just sort of talk about the tournament overall Because at the uh, in the main event we had a really good main event. I preferred the main event to the opener with yes, uh, yes. with Daniel with Brian Danielson and Jericho, and I think it, I felt better for them because they had a pretty good match at the pay per view a few weeks ago. But damn, it was at the very end of the show, and it was like the crowd was a little dead at that point. The crowd was real a lot more into this being the main event, being a stepping stone for the world title. So now we know it's Brian Danielson, it's John Moxley. And I like what AEW has done over the last few weeks when they had a ton of crap happen. CM Punk put them in a weird spot. He said some things. They had to suspend a bunch of their top talent. They've got a lot of injuries. They were in a bad spot. But you know what? Since then, the last two weeks of TV shows, what they've done is said, hey, we have some proven stars that we know we can trust. Let's put the ball in their hands. We know that Chris Jericho. John Moxley, Brian Danielson, these are proven stars in wrestling. Let's give these guys the ball. We know we can trust them. They're not hurt all the time. They're on TV. They can cut promos. They can people like them. They care. And so you've seen a lot more of them on TV. And it hasn't felt like they're trying to squeeze a million things onto the TV. I think it's just like a steadying presence for them. I, I think it's been a smart. A smart call over the last few weeks To put as much of these guys on TV as possible Well it's worked out You've got back to back 1 million plus ratings on a Wednesday night Where even though the You know some of the matches haven't been all that well They've been able to You know uh, To escape some of you know Because a lot of sometimes you know Yeah bad press is good press But some of the times it, it turns some A portion of the people off from your well, product Especially when you're the guys that the bad press is about Aren't on the show Right. It's not like there's no, there's no storylines about it. You're not tuning in and seeing CM Punk or Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. So all of the buzz about them in the last few weeks, it's not leading to anything. So that's no, what. It, it, and they they've played it safe. I I I kind of I kind of ripped this tournament, and I and I still stand by my opinion. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know this. if the the tournament, like the the who was in the tournament, was the best. But I just think when you've got two hours, if you say, hey, you know what? Let's make sure that 40 minutes of this, we're going to have these guys that we know we can really trust and that people know. And if they're turning the channels, they see these guys instead of 15 different segments that are 30 seconds, 40 seconds that don't really do anything for anyone. 100%. And they played it safe. It's just odd that, not odd, but you have two WWE guys, former WWE guys that are, this is, is this going to be for the interim title or this is the vacated championship? Now it says this is for the vi- It's not saying interim Like it does okay. say with, with Tony Because with Tony Storm they're still saying interim yeah, champion That's stupid That is just about a stupid I hate that Makes hate no that. sense Okay so But you know what Instead of rushing a transition champion And I'm just going to pull You know this Orange Cassidy got into the mix And became uh, a Cinderella A Cinderella entrant Right And just you know Or Ethan Page Instead of putting the title on him, knowing that he's probably not going to have it in November when their next pay-per-view is, I do agree that 
it needed a solid name. I just don't know if Mox winning this title again does. He, he's it. in a weird spot because you've had him I, I'd win it and Jericho lose this crap or, or, a few or, times. Yeah. Now, yeah, I don't have. know if, it, if enough people are talking about this. Is MJF just going to cash this in like a money in the bank next week? Well, I, Andrew just sent us a, a tweet of MJ, MJF and uh, Sheamus uh, going at it on, on Twitter. So we definitely don't need that war. But I, that was, the <laughs> point, that was a, you know, the, the old Conor McGregor line. Who the fuck is this guy? That, that's, that's what Sheamus <laughs> I think MJF quoted a Seamus tweet and said sad and Seamus just responded back with the the meme of Conor McGregor at the famed UFC press conference with somebody says, yeah, I'll just take you on Conor. Conor goes, who's the fuck is this guy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you, now, you brought up this point last week. I, I, I would say he could do it at any time. I know. And I, in Grand Slam, he's in New York. He's there. It's totally an MJF thing to do. To do it right after the match, got, and and Brian Danielson, if or, you don't want to bury Moxley, yeah, I, 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 man, I would. Here's the thing: I, MJF does need this title, but man, you you let one of these guys win this title, and they're only champion for two months. Is that a slap in the face to Mox for everything he's done, or Brian Danielson? What he's done is just a. You talk about a weird spot. This I don't is think a it, weird spot for the title. I don't think it would hurt Danielson as much, like. But but the but so like if Danielson wins and then loses immediately after, like we saw him do in WWE, like exactly <laughs> the same thing, right? Yeah, like he gets that. I don't think that would hurt him because that's sort of a Brian Danielson thing to do. Like, hey, I'm a fighter, I'm noble. For Moxley, him losing to Brian Danielson would hurt him, I think, based yeah. on like his losses. So that you he's take it, do you if him? J- is going to get this title, and, and for all in he should. So it would be easier for for Mox to recover than Brian Danielson. You're saying for MJF going going over. Let's say if it happens at the next pay per view in November. I think if it's if it's like it will. First off, it feels MJF's cutting promos on Moxley. You know, like he's not yeah. really saying a yeah. whole lot about yeah. Brian Danielson. So it feels like it's going to be Moxley just based on that. You know, um, but I mean, do they do something else? Do they have? Maybe they do they throw us for a loop and then they have MJF and Moxley feud for a little while, not over the title. They could just have Brian Danielson win the title and then go have a couple matches somewhere else. I, I don't know, but I think I think MJF is best off getting the belt as soon as possible. I think you're best off. One hundred percent. No delay. No delay yeah. on this. He's got to got to win it at the, at the next opportunity that he gets. One hundred percent. And actually, had Stokely Hathaway come out and he introduced his group. And Stokely basically said that all of these guys are going to be going for individual championships. Ethan Page is going to go for the Mid-Atlantic. You're going to have uh, Moriarty go for the Pure. You're going to have the Ass Boys go for the tag team titles. You're going to have... So, you know what? He said that they're not really connected with MJF, but that they will have a loose association if he needs them. And and Stokely and MJF were buddies uh, for a long time. So there's like a real-world tie here. So at least they explain this a little bit. And I like Stokely. Yeah, I've always liked him. I, I I don't know if I, we're just so factionated uh, on Wednesday nights. Like, where do these w, guys they, level up, right? Where do they stack up? Do they feel like Ethan, any of? Yeah, poor Ethan Page. Talk about somebody who just had everything going from him when he debuted with AEW. He was the Joker, right? Uh, the Joker card and the and yep. the ladder match or whatever it was. 
Uh, they're going to be called the firm now. I just, I don't know what this does for MJF. I just like him as a standalone smart ass guy. He had Wardlow with him for a long time. I, 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 I'm okay with it. I just don't know what it does for, for somebody like MJF or I, I just feel bad for like Ethan page, man. He, he got a good, he, he just had a good run and just hasn't been able to do anything. He got stuck with Scorpio sky who we haven't, hasn't been seen from uh, in, in a long time. So just a, a, an interesting thing to be introduced with MJF, like he needs help. I don't know if you're trying to get the, the sleazy heel vibe again. I don't think MJF needs that help. I don't know. Jungle Boy picks up a win over uh, uh, Lethal just to kind of build him along the way. Christian's hurt, so they're going to build to a Luchasaurus match. We had uh, the pizza guy backstage. Luigi Primo! Luigi makes the best of pizza! The pizza man! Uh, He's so great. He's such an indie worker, man. I don't know if you've ever seen him. Yes. He's in Texas a lot. He is fantastic at what. And he's a good wrestler, too. So he just gets taken out. A fun little cameo there. Following that, we had a clip of Darby Allen doing some stunts, and there's going to be a match with Matt Hardy coming up. Don't get hurt, Darby. Don't yeah, get hurt don't. doing those. Um, Swerve in our glory versus the Lucha Brothers. This was just kind of weird. They had a tag team championship match sort of out of nowhere. So you have your trio's champions just lose. Sure. You just hey, have just them- zero sense. Zero sense. No sense whatsoever, but... Man, you build to this acclaimed match, and it doesn't really make Ooh, sense on paper because the acclaimed lost clean, but they have to become. I, I feel bad they're because they're over. They're over. They need to be the tag champs, but Keith Lee and Swerve are actually make making small strides. They're not like as over, but they're they feel like they're kind of they're in an okay spot. But you got to give it to the acclaimed right now. They're just way more over. I, they yeah, have to I mean, they work with the titles, right? Yeah, and AEW has been known not to do the obvious, though, right? You would think, okay, this. Remember with Britt Baker, how long it took? Yeah, I mean, have to go with the obvious here. The claim need those those title straps ASAP. The promos they could cut, they're just a really, really good, entertaining uh, tag team. And this is the one that that WWE definitely missed out on by cutting these guys. Why do you have Ricky Starks come through the crowd like he's John Moxley? Here, I don't know. After he just got I, his ass beat, it just don't make any sense, dude. It just pisses me off. It does that. That it just it's the just guy a, it could be a star, and you're just doing dumb things with him. I know it was unnecessary having him lose like that at the pay per view. If you're just going to have a rematch again, and Mo- Moxley's thing is to come out from the crowd. I don't think there should be multiple sure. people coming out from the crowd. No. That's like your guy, your one of your top guys' thing. And no. uh, we had. Britt and Serena D versus Tony Storm and Athena. Athena cut this unbelievably horrendous promo before talking about an a, apple a day keeps her away from the DMD or something. I, it was horrible. Awful. Man, her, you talk about stock that was pretty decent. Man, she just hasn't made a very good, there just hasn't been a good transition. And Serena D, when did her and the good Dr. Britt Baker become friends. Where's Jamie Hayter? Is she hurt? Um, well, no, so then he, Hayter, remember, comes out at the end in this that's match. Right, that's right. That's right. And she that's interrupts right. because she's pissed off at Britt because Britt kind of stole that's the right. – stole or Britt screwed Britt, uh, uh, Hayter out of winning the title. But the worst part about all of this, 
Tony Storm takes the pin. She takes the pin. Why? What are Why we doing? I don't Why care. Is she getting if pinned. If a champion loses in a tag match, that's fine. That's a good way to protect the champion. But don't have the champion take the one, two, three. I don't care if it's a roll up or anything. This is just bad. This have is Athena a- lose this match. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And now, I will say the in ring work was fine because sure. at least Serena and Athena are veteran in ring workers. So when yes. those two are in the ring, you're not going to have a whole bunch of botches because they're just good. Like they've been in a lot of matches, but disappointing. And again, you compare this one match that they had for, you know, 10 minutes and versus all of the stuff that you've got on Monday night, raw and SmackDown. So Coop, I got to get going in just a second. Let's, let's finish up. But you, my friend have been dishing out some great football plays so far. A couple of weeks ago, you gave us Florida state. You gave us Houston last week too. Uh, that was able to cover that, I believe. Uh, is there anything that you want to dish out real quick before we get out of here? Yeah, there's a couple of ones I looked at. I think Auburn and Penn State looks intriguing. I, I like uh, – I'm going to go Penn State under their team total here at 25 and a half. I think there's some there's some juice that you can find there that you can work with. And I think another odd uh, uh, odd game is Western Kentucky at Indiana. The Sun Belt has just been beating up on teams. This line opened at Indiana minus nine. It's now down to six and a half. I, I think not only does Western Kentucky have the opportunity to to cover this, I think they can go in there and win that game. So those are the two college games I really like this week. Penn State under team total, 25 and a half. And I'm going to take the Hilltoppers to cover uh, six and a half or seven, whatever you can get. He's been hot to start the year. Let's see if it continues. Chad Coop, he's number 274 on the PWI (laughs) this year. Coop, my friend, thank you so much, buddy. You have a great weekend, and we'll talk soon. Good luck, Gino. Have uh, Have a good weekend, sir. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on That's What She Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What She Said. A big thank you to Eric for helping us out again with football each and every game, each and every week. Koopaloop. Chad Coop for helping us talk some wrestling. Chad's been doing a really nice job with the uh, the games he's been dishing out. Also, hopefully we led you to a few winners in football, in college, talked some baseball. This was a fun episode. We really got into a little bit of everything. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll be able to focus on the Pennsylvania Derby. That's going to be the big races uh, next weekend. This week, we'll also have another episode coming up in a few days where we recap She-Hulk. With Tim Kelly, the deep dive. Hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again here on That's What G Said.